On a gathering storm comes a tall, handsome man in a dusty black coat with a red right hand. So we've all rewatched Scream. Yes. Should we start? I rewatched it in four different parts over lunch. So. Oh, wow. I think mine was the most thorough. Over lunch? <laughs> yeah, like while while I'm eating lunch, I'll have Scream playing at work. Oh, over a series of lunches over a series of days? <laughs> yeah, you're right. I should have added way more words. <laughs> you made it sound like your lunch was like... Yeah, I don't know. You thought I had a series of lunches in one day? I don't know. You said it weird. I don't think I did. I think you said it weird. You... No, you, you know, no, no, I don't know. Okay. It's been too long now since we talked about it. So we've already started, I guess. Neighbors Trash. We're here to tell you about things you probably already know about. But we're telling them to you or talking to you about them. That's the premise of the show. I'm Paul. That's Kelly. And then we've got Joe here. Uh, Hello. Today because uh joe is joins us to talk about the simpsons usually <laughs> and today it's scream because you guys love scream is that right i i think just because the new one just came out okay i was trying to think why we got on the subject of scream and it, i was like it's april 1st of course everyone's watching scream but everyone is watching scream because scream 6 just came out Yes. But also, let's be clear, Kelly. He asked if we love Scream, and the answer is we absolutely yes, love Scream. Yes, we do love Scream, too. Yeah. yeah. You love Scream, too, specifically. <laughs> well, only me. Um, I think everyone else seems to hate Scream, too, on the internet. Not, I'm not talking about you guys. Me. Okay. I'm not talking about you guys. Tell me what the, the internet thinks about Scream, because I don't know what the internet thinks about Scream. <laughs> Uh, just in general, like the whole internet, what you they think it, about Scream 1. You made it sound like the internet hates Scream. They hate Scream 2. They hate Scream 2. Okay, I missed yeah. that. I'm sorry. What's the it's issue okay. with Scream 2? We don't have to talk no, about Scream 2. wait. Joe, do they hate Scream 3? Um. <clears throat> well, so yeah, by, by tomometer or tomato meter, it's tomato meter. Wow, tomometer makes me sound like an idiot. Uh, That's a cool <laughs> word, though. Uh, Scream 2 is actually ranked number one. Uh, oh, but yeah. okay. Scream 3 is the ranked the worst by that metric. Wow. That's the one everybody hates. Paul, everybody hates Scream 3. <laughs> is this something you all agree with? What's your... No. So I guess we should say, too, this is going to be a series of Scream uh, episodes. And we're going to watch through the Screams and discuss. So I guess this first one will kind of establish. We did all watch Scream 1, so we're going to talk about Scream 1. Um, but eventually we will get to Scream 2. So screen three will usually follow and you guys then do not agree that that screen three is the worst or you do. No, I'm talking about the internet. I know you are, but I'm asking you <laughs> if that's how you feel. Oh no, I love screen three. Okay. Joe, do you love screen three? I can't help but love it. Cause like, okay. It has so many people in it that I love, like Parker Posey's in it, you know? Ah. Uh. Yeah, you can't lose when you've so got Parker Posey. She really is, yeah. Okay, so... Paul, well, have you seen all the screams? I couldn't tell you. I know I've seen more than one. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, 
Because you you watching Scream One that you haven't seen it in a very long time, right? It's been a while to the point where there were things I remembered about it, but I did not know who the killer was. Uh, oh, okay. What a surprise. Yeah, I yeah, it was it was it was like watching it for the first time. I had kind of remembered. I I remembered that one of them had two killers, and I think multiple screams have two killers. So this I think they it. all do. Oh, okay. Is that right? Except no, except for one. One of them okay. has one killer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, okay. But not the first one. Not the um, first one or the second one, Paul. Or the third one. Or the third one. <laughs> um, possibly. As we shall one. no doubt discuss <laughs> in the next few episodes here. Um, <laughs> but this first one. Uh, yes, I did not remember uh, who the killer was, and there were parts of it that I remember. I remember Randy. I remember pretty much everything with Randy in it for some reason. He stood out to me the most, apparently. Um, you identified I identified with Randy? I guess, maybe. I don't really think so, though. Maybe he's just a guy I think, like, I could hang out with Randy. It's more yeah, Paul, do, do not fall prey to this bullying. Randy is, <laughs> is meant to be. The audience stand in slash uh, the guy you with. So yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. I was just asking the questions. You had a tone. <laughs> you did have a tone. I was upset, but um, agreed. Yeah, he's definitely because he's kind of talking at you a little bit. He's almost breaking the fourth wall. He practically is because we're watching him for a good chunk of this movie, uh, talk directly into a camera of sorts, even though he doesn't and know the camera's there. Yeah, um, and we're learning how to react to what's happening based on what information he's giving us. Like every time he true. gives us a new rule, we're like, "Oh shit, I gotta look out for that." Like, mm -hmm. yeah, well, and that, this is a quality that um, you know we may end up talking about more as time goes on. But it's a very Kevin Williamson movie. Uh, that's the guy who wrote it. Uh, mm -hmm. He has a very specific style, and a lot of people hit his guts for it. Um, I think it works well here for reasons that we'll probably talk about, but. Uh, yeah, there's there's this that fourth wall thing you're talking about, Paul. Um, that he's just kind of playing, you know, walking that line very very closely. Right. Yeah. And that was so funny too because I was reading the trivia. I'll let you go back in a second, Paul. But I was just um, reading the trivia for this with Wes Craven, and mm -hmm. he was like, "I love Jamie Kennedy just because he was so damn funny. Everything he said like made him laugh." And I just think that's funny that Jamie Kennedy would be the. <laughs> Like, I know that he, I don't know if he does stand-up or anything. I know he had that show where he, like, watched, um, like, funny videos or something, didn't he? I Jamie think he, Kennedy Experiment? No, he did Experiment. It was a prank. It was a prank show. Prank show, yeah. But I don't know. It's just funny that that's how he got the job. He's just like, everything that kid says is so damn funny. I mean, to his credit, uh, you know, this cast is, like, a complete home run. It's a grand slam. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they did a fantastic job casting this movie, and both... Jamie Kennedy, who did end up being something of a, like a punchline later in his career. He's doing yeah. great work here. And, you know, yeah. Matt, yeah, Matt Lillard is doing great work, uh, comedic work as well. So it, it's, it gives, I think it gives this movie a lot of rewatchable quality because uh, it's not just about like, you know, the stabbing and the, uh, and the hey, hey. It's also about like having a good time and, and enjoying uh, the performances on screen, which are frequently funny. Yes. And I, I feel I feel like they they really took their time and picked the right people, um, including with the director too. I think that was incredibly important to have Wes Craven. And yeah, I think that like they did it's perfect. Like um, the the casting of everything, and I like that. 
<laughs> Agreed. Yes, thank you. Um, so basically, you remembered that there was going to be two killers, but you just didn't remember who exactly they were going to be. Like, did you know they were students? Not necessarily. No, I did not remember that there were two either. Okay. I remembered that I had watched one where there were two killers, and I couldn't remember if that were that was multiple screams. Um, the other one I watched, I know, ends on a on a stage. There's some sort of stage play involved. That's Those the are the second two. One. That's the second one. Yeah. So it's possible I've only seen the first two. Um, okay. I don't know, but I. So yeah, I knew that that there at one point was two killers, and I kind of remember that. Um, you maybe have to help me with Stu. I remembered that Stu played a part in it. I didn't know what was exactly what he did or. You know, if he was actually the killer, or if we were supposed to kind of believe that he was the killer. Um, okay. But I remembered it's... that he was, uh, yeah. What I was wondering, which is why I asked, is I was like, I was, I was wondering if you thought it was Dewey for any part of time. Because that's really what they were really hammering. I think that's what they were trying to get people to think the whole time. Oh, really? Is that what you I think? I think so. That's wow. what I think. Okay. Because they throw in a lot of stuff with him to make it look like he's the killer. See, that's really fun. I, I, I'm just thinking about it, you know, from your perspective now. And I'm trying to think. So, the, yeah, there's that scene where he's, like, asks Gail to, like, walk with him. Yeah, yes. like, Yeah. Uh, but to me, that always hit me as, like, a very weak red herring. Like, almost like it was a joke, you know, that you would think Dewey would be at all kind of dangerous. But I don't know. Maybe it's just because I've seen it a billion times now. And, I, you know, I can't think of David Arquette as anything but, like you know squishy lovable right dude, you know that's yeah. really but i think too they were trying i think they were trying to make it seem like oh it couldn't possibly be him but wait it could be because of all these rules they keep throwing at me mm. and then they do like the other two things where he has the at the very beginning when sydney opens the door he's holding the mask out in front of him and so she thinks mm -hmm. it's the killer again which is a bizarre way to be at the front door and then when she's at tatum's house or both their houses um when she gets the phone call from uh ghostface and then um dewey comes out of his room like two seconds after she hangs up the phone mm -hmm. um, so I, got, I gotta tell you though like both of those scenes are played for such comedy right like yeah when he's, when he's holding up the mask and she opens the door and she sees it and screams he immediately screams after she screams and then right in the uh in the scene where the you're talking about where she's at dewey and, and uh, tatum's house and she gets the phone call from ghostface when he rushes out, he's like in his skivvies, like holding his gun, being like, huh? what happened? <laughs> I don't, I guess, I guess if I can hear what you're saying. And I guess for me, it was working, you know, like if they were trying to get one past the goalie and, and make the killer, like somebody you'd never suspect, it was totally working on me. Cause I never was suspected doing a billion years just cause he was so funny, you know? I just thought it was like so bizarre that it just might work, which is something they'd probably do now. So if they're like in the seventh one or in these later ones, they usually do throw in like the goofy person just be like wait a minute and it was also the stupid nerd here like right. you know? yeah it was the stupid nerd Not again. Yeah, I, think, I think nerds have suffered a really bad reputation change uh in the last like 10 15 years now people are like oh yeah nerds are nerds will kill yeah, people for sure right they totally would kill people i thought this movie because i knew that it wasn't dewey because i had seen the second one and like I knew that he was a reoccurring character. So it's okay. like, I, I know it wasn't him. I know that like, he kind of has that relationship with Gail throughout most of them. Um, 
I thought, though, if this were the first time I had watched it, I think they did a good job making it, making Billy and Stu seem so much like they should be the killer that if you were watching it, knowing kind of how the formulas work, that you would not suspect them because you would think there's no way they're going to make Billy the killer because he's so intense all the time. And he's like basically stupid. (laughs) Right. But it's like they also they make him kind of like he doesn't seem he's you know, he doesn't seem to really care about the murders. And like, you know, it's he seems like someone like Stu seems like the kind of guy you would easily place as like he could be the killer because, you know, he's just kind of a I don't know. like weird. Yeah. So I think yeah, he like uh, enunciates things weirdly, like the way he talks. <laughs> I don't know if I would have gone for that. Say that. <laughs> this, is, this is really funny. I, I just I, I think of these things so much in terms of what I feel like the movie is trying to tell me, you know what I mean? By like the performances and also like the dialogue they put in the character's mouth. Like to me, here is Stu dating Tatum, who's like beautiful and clearly like a popular person like he always came off to me as like a popular guy you know who's like throwing parties at his house and he's you know the he's the life of the party he's always fun to be around he's like got a lot of swagger like to me he reads as like uh you know cool cool top of the pops kind of guy that's what i got too but i just i i also felt like because of that and because just like he just seemed like he didn't really care about the murders he was kind of making jokes right away and like, I just felt like they were kind of, like, pointing at him and saying, like, you're supposed to think he's could be the killer. And same with Billy. And that's why I think it's interesting that they went with it, you know? Because I think, right. like, what you're saying is that, like, then we start to kind of expect it to be, like, oh, this character, like, he shows up a lot. It seems like he's always kind of in the place where the murders are happening or where the attacks are happening. I'm talking about Dewey. And, like... You know, where that would be someone you're like, okay, he doesn't seem like he would be, but it almost feels like they could easily create a motive for him, and he's he has a reason to kind of always be in these situations. So I think that's one where, like, it would it feels like the movie almost like I don't know if it were a little bit more obvious, it would have maybe done went with Dewey, and then it's just the fact that they kind of went with the people that were so clearly people you were supposed to think were the killer. I thought that was interesting. Well, I would, I would like to point out one thing really quick, which is just that like uh, I saw, I snuck into the theater to watch this movie when it came out. Uh, I was way too young. I should not have done that, but uh, they didn't care about stuff like that back then. Right. Um, <laughs> but uh, the thing that we're, we're kind of talking about this, like it's a given because we, you know, we're familiar with the series that it was a given that there'd be more than one killer, but that was like a big reveal. Right. Like, here's this movie saying, like, as you're saying, Paul, they seem to be really laying it on thick with numerous characters, you know, right. multiple characters. And so, you know, for everybody, you're sitting there trying to figure out, like, well, you know, you're not thinking in terms of, is it Billy and Stu or is it, you know, Randy and Billy? You're thinking about it in terms of, like, okay, Billy seems way too obvious. And then exactly. there's, like, yeah. Right. But then there's, like, a three layered surprise at the end where it's like, oh, there's more than one. Uh, and one of them is Billy. Like, you, you know, he's been in, uh, plain sight this entire time like even though it felt too obvious like there's kind of a surprise that they made it end up being him against that expectation right uh and then the fact that there was a second one and then the third surprise that they layered in is like a pretty decent backstory for what you know billy's motivation 
um, that was not really hinted at at all, mm -hmm. but like makes sense within the the fiction that they've been telling you in the story, right? Um, so yeah, I just felt like it was a really well guarded secret, even though it was kind of out in the open, like you're saying. That's exactly what I'm saying too. It's I, I'm saying I think that they did a good job with it by almost telling you like, hey, you should probably suspect this person, or mm -hmm. like I I think that's actually like pretty i don't know i i think that's an interesting way to do it just kind of compared to how these things normally go and just to actually yeah and it's like you believe the motivation right away and you believe that he did it and that they do the whole fake out thing too which i think is interesting and like yeah i think they did a really good job with that and it made a very satisfying ending yeah i never really suspected anybody i mean i had the same thing where i was like okay billy has to be the guy but also it's too obvious and he spends that night in jail when sid gets mm -hmm. the phone call right so you're like okay that eliminates him as a suspect because you're not thinking in terms of two killers at that point right um but i was truly like at sea you know at watching it for the first time like i don't know freaking did this it could be anybody uh but the funny thing is i never really considered Stu, probably just because i i thought he was so funny and was like enjoying his stuff so much um <laughs> but it's funny that they even try to do something like throw henry winkler into the mix and you're like yeah no nah, it's not him but it is fun <laughs> yeah he like, has that little be. yeah I, speaking of henry winkler i i thought it was interesting i got this all from wikipedia so you know um but <laughs> he wasn't even really supposed to be in the movie but they just felt like they needed another kill and so they <laughs> added that in and then it became the um a way to get some of the like lesser like they had way too many people at this party. They need to clear it out. So it's like, oh, we'll just have them run off and go look at the principal's dead body. Um, Don't you think that the whole entire party was a little too excited to go look at a dead body hanging from a flagpole? That was pretty that creepy. Be, yeah. Like, yes. These kids are sociopaths. <laughs> yeah, they really are. It I suspect been... everyone in this school, honestly, after Seriously. that scene. Like, <laughs> I, there was nobody that's like, oh my God, it was all like, hell yeah, we're going to go look at that. Yeah. Like, Nobody's well, like, you know I what? don't know if I want to see that. <laughs> Stu didn't go, you know? That's he, true. He, he didn't sound all excited and stuff. He was like, kind of <laughs> talking about having to go find Tatum. So, right. <laughs> nice guy. It's these other You're kids like, I'm worried about. Right. <laughs> Stu and Randy had class. They didn't want to go see a dead principal. Right. That's right. <laughs> Randy was probably too drunk I think is by that point in the movie but yeah I hear what you're saying he could have got a ride there was like four cars going in yeah that Randy the, can't get into a car uh, did you see how he was walking uh, <laughs> all right. toward the end of the movie although he sobers up pretty quick once uh, he starts getting all like shot up and shit and stabbed yeah. That's true. Yeah. I could see that being the case though <laughs> your life is in danger you're gonna be like my body needs to like kick it into gear here i can't yeah, be sure bumbling it can't around. be kicked into gear by hearing about your beloved dead principal but it'll be kicked into gear <laughs> i don't know if it's that i'm just like well hey, maybe randy's isn't a guy who wants to go see a dead body he wants yeah. to watch movies does it does it make any sense to kind of like uh talk about sort of the high points of the plot you know from start to finish just to knock out a few like interesting things that happened in it yeah, we could do just that. jump into the deaths at the end. So yeah, we could probably. <laughs> well, I'm going into this. We've talked about this before, as if people who are listening have already watched it. Totally. Um, so, because I always feel like when you know when when podcasts do that, they like 
it's like we we've either watched it or I don't care enough about it to even really know what's going on. Um, but yeah, I do think it's interesting to yeah, let's go over and kind of talk about some of the the big points. I guess here. before we start that too, so Paul, you said or no, Joe, you said you saw it first when you saw it in the theater. But Paul, do you remember like first watching it? It was, I believe, with you and Kellator. Um, oh, really? Was that late? I think so. I don't, I'm not a, I was not a horror fan until I uh, I got married or started dating my wife. And she started having me watch horror movies because I just always like, like Gremlins scared the crap out of me as a kid. Yeah, you were a scaredy cat. And I just always thought, like, I had nightmares about Jurassic Park. I love Jurassic Park. But, like, <laughs> I had nightmares about it for years. Um, I didn't know that. That's <laughs> awesome. And That's Grim- so awesome. And, and Jurassic Park gave me nightmares constantly. So <laughs> I, I walked out of the theater. I was I was in Jurassic Park with my dad. And then when Nedry is getting faced down by the uh, Dilophosaur, whatever, the spitting dinosaur. Yeah. Uh, I got up and left the theater. I was so scared. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I did that with um, a little kid. The second Batman. What's the second Batman with Danny DeVito as the penguin? Batman Returns. Yeah, right, yeah. I, I had to leave the theater for Batman Returns because of that. Uh, I could Danny understand DeVito. that one more so than Jurassic Park. I don't remember being scared of Jurassic Park. There are some terrifying scenes. Like, Those kids almost died. Yeah, they a did. Lot. Yeah, a lot. Like a lot of times, they were very close to dying. And a lot of people had their they had their limbs torn off. The guy got eaten. I think in it the was toilet. more of an exciting movie than a scary mm. movie, though. There are some have... scenes of of terror in there. <laughs> okay. um, later, yeah, the whole T yeah. Rex sequence, the raptor, and everything that they do. Oh yeah, the raptor and like in the uh, the raptors in the kitchen or whatever. Oh yeah, that, that whole was, that was intense. Whole Pretty intense. Yeah, terrifying. Um. Yeah, so I never, I never really watched. Not even that I considered this like something I thought would be too terrifying. I just always kind of thought, well, it's like if I can't get through that, you know, I don't yeah. know if I'm gonna be able to get through uh, Scream. So I just never watched it, and then I just started started watching horror and realizing how great of a genre it is and how much I've actually been missing. So yeah, I think probably the first time I ever watched this. Um, and this is probably the second time I've watched it ever. Wow. Very cool. Yeah, I've I've seen it a lot. Well, we started watching it like um, sleepovers and stuff when I was a kid. So it was like we would just watch it like the first and the second one, especially we'd rewatch all the time. Um, but I I don't know. I always thought it was fun because it felt like a horror movie, but it's clearly not like a horror movie. But it kind of felt like you're watching one so you could be a little younger and be like, we watch Scream. So, like, but it's more of a whodunit than a actual horror movie. So, right, you get to feel like you're like cool watching a horror movie when you're little, but it's not going to be intense. It's not going to give you nightmares like Jurassic Park or something. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, I think there's um, obviously like anybody who's listening to this who might be like a huge horror movie fan or like slasher movie fan. I think probably would go ahead and, and agree with us that like, this is not the most intense slasher movie you're ever going to see. Um, it's got, but I, I think what it has going for it is that um, it is a lot of fun uh, punctuated with some like pretty gruesome, nasty stuff. Uh, yeah. There's the very beginning, obviously, which we'll talk about in a second, I guess with uh, Drew Barrymore, like 
the imagery of her hanging from that tree is pretty fucked up. Like it's pretty gnarly to look at, but it's just these, it's, it's moments like that. And there's only a few of them peppered throughout. I mean, we talked about Henry Winkler's character. His death is actually like pretty anodyne uh, compared to some of the others for sure. Um, So they're not all like totally obsessed with being gruesome and, and bloody and gutty and all that stuff. So I think there is enough uh, fun to be had. And then you kind of just, those intense moments, you can kind of, you know, weather the storm a little bit because there's so much other great stuff around it. If you're the type of person to be put off by, you know, the the, the, the big kills. I, I, the kills that weren't as like intense though, like they seem to do something fucked up with the body afterwards. Cause like sure, yeah. the principal, like they hung him up, they, they like gutted him. So like that was pretty intense. And then they did the same thing with Casey at the beginning. And then- the cameraman was pretty brutal too because he sliced his throat and then somehow got him onto the hood of the uh, yeah. van. He lifted like, that, that like that giant dead weight man onto the roof somehow. Okay, okay, all right. I just want to really quick. His name is Ken, and he okay. is not dead weight. He's a hero, <laughs> played by W. Earl Brown, who was on Deadwood, played one of the most iconic <laughs> characters in all of television history. <laughs> Wow, the man yeah, is a hero. <laughs> he was a, I was a guy, I wrote it on my notes that he was a big hero because he's the only one that was like going to run back into the house to go save Randy. Like he was about yeah. to go. He was ready. He was ready yeah. to save him. Yeah. He didn't he, even have any question. Like he was just kind of like, yeah. he sees it. He jumps out of the van. He knows he's in trouble. He goes like, he was yeah. about to go in there and fuck up Ghostface. So I agree with you. I was just saying, I don't know how he got that large man. He is a large <laughs> man onto the hood of a van. And literal dead weight at that point. Okay, yes, I get you. Yeah, uh, yeah that's true. You. Like the, the, <laughs> the most literal interpretation of that. Yeah, especially the idea of either Billy or Stu being the one. I guess maybe they could have done it together, but the idea of either one of those kind of pretty skinny dudes uh, yeah. getting, getting Kenny up there is strains credulity a little bit, but that's okay. It's a good movie. And yeah, it would have been Stu by himself at that point because uh, um, Billy yeah, was supposed right. to be dead. Right. Well, Maybe he just talked to some of those guys that ran off to see a dead principal and they're like, hey guys, before you <laughs> before you run off to see that dead body, can you throw this dead body on the roof? Or Sydney stopped and helped before she ran away. <laughs> yeah. like, By the way, Kelly. Like, was... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. Well, I was just gonna say I I like you pointing out um, you know, who likely would have done what, you know, in terms of the the kill or like the you know the, the practical considerations, because you're way smarter than me i'm sure you've like done done the math before tonight or sorry last night was the first viewing where i actually tried to sit down and be like okay was it billy or stew this time like i was it was uh. i've probably seen it 40 times that was the first time i ever really thought about it in those terms well kelly yeah. said yeah you you tell him because i think that i was in in having kind of watched it as if i were watching it for the first time ever and then trying to go back i kind of wanted to watch it again and see if I could figure out, you know, who was who and and who was killing who. But Kelly, you said you actually looked it up or you. I was like, yeah, I read through it while I was watching it the second time. And like, I, um, so I was watching for them after I read it, but it said Stu was only two people and maybe not even two, because they don't really know who um, actually killed Casey. Because they were kind of together to hang her up from the tree, but they're not really sure who stabbed who. Oh, they did credit Stu with Steve, her boyfriend. So interesting. he had Steve and the cameraman, and that's literally it. And then everybody else was Billy's kills. I was going to say, Billy Billy absolutely sounds like the person on the phone during the Casey opening scene. 
like that's why yeah, yeah that's why we started talking about this because i was like i don't see i don't see how Stu could disguise his voice that well because billy kind of already has that monotone type of way of speaking but i still feel like even if billy was or uh Stu was ghost face he'd still be like sure like yeah I don't right think he could hide that at least what? once like every once in a while it would just come out involuntarily <laughs> it would slip or he'd be yeah. like ha something right like but that's it kind of threw me because at the very end he does have the voice changer he's the one that says hello sydney into it yeah we should say for for practical purposes uh ghost face's voice is a guy that's it's a guy named roger jackson right yeah yeah he did, he did mojo jojo on the powerpuff girls uh oh yeah yeah always a fun fact that i liked knowing but I like know that part yeah, his voice is like super iconic, right? And I, I thought actually one of the things they did really well at the end of the movie was like they only have him use the the voice modulator like once and like very quickly. And it's just enough to make you be like, oh yeah, that could have been him on the phone. But you know, because it doesn't sound exactly like that Roger Jackson guy, but right. it sounds close right. enough. And you're like, oh, okay. But I definitely felt like in the opening scene, like the the way Ghostface was, you know, the the pattern and uh, the manner of speech which i guess is probably got to chalk up to being a, a good job by roger jackson i guess maybe he was yeah. trying to emulate the kid's way of speaking or manner of speech or whatever because it felt like billy's patter you know right i did not i, I want to point out that i did know that it was a different voice i'm just saying he would have the stew mannerisms if it was stew Oh, totally. Yes. No, I was saying it for the audience's uh, benefit. That's all. Okay. But it would also be like, oh, well, then it's Stu. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, because who else talks like Stu? <laughs> right. Stu did it. That's uh, why I'm saying I don't think that he ever had the voice modulator. I see. Um, yeah. uh, everyone, theor like, um, when I looked it up, people were theorizing that um, the lead ghost face is the one that makes all the calls. Oh. And I guess okay. Billy was the lead ghost face in this one i would say i definitely thought billy was the one at the the house that you know i guess casey's house um uh that night it, it felt like his whole thing and plus Stu was with tatum the whole night before according to you know the kids when they were talking in the courtyard later but anyway right um yeah do we think or know that billy actually called from prison was that Stu? like did he make his one phone call because i know it's like kind of left to like who's your one phone call and he, he clearly seemed to lie about it so was it him calling from from jail not prison yeah, that's a really good question and i thought you know when i was watching the movie uh for the first time uh i was just like that's right he could use his one call to call I mean, whatever you know like you, you, i didn't think of it before that scene when sydney brings it up right to, uh, and I was like, oh, shit, like he's back on the, you know, he's, he's back on the table, potential killer. When, of course, like that should have been the first thing I thought of. I don't care if I was 10 years old or whatever, like I should have figured that out pretty quick. Um, but that was great. I think also that his his explanation, I think, was actually pretty good, though. You know, like I think the movie plays it off very well when he's like, I called my dad. And she's like, no, I, I saw the sheriff call your dad. And he's like, yeah, but when I call you, you'd pick up. I was like, yeah, OK. Like he's got a shitty relationship with his dad. I can believe it. Right. You know. But at the same time, wouldn't it be just seeing the caller ID from the jail both times? That's a good question. For me, like caller ID was not a normal thing to have uh, for me when, uh, you know, at, at that point. So if, the way I just chalked it up was like, you know, yeah. just was like screening calls or whatever. And it wasn't until the second when he got, you know, two calls right in a row. That's when he's like, ah, who the hell is this? And then picked up, you know, yeah. I don't know. But they, they like had the call logs, right? I guess I just 
from not like just watching again for the first time, I didn't really follow the call log stuff. So I don't know if there's something I missed there, but like, didn't they run the reports and show that he didn't make those calls or they did from the cell phone he had, he didn't make the calls. So they must've had uh... two cell phones, but they didn't really clear that up. They never pulled out two cell phones. Right. Cellular phones, Kelly, not cell phones. <laughs> uh, and and use, use the word clone a lot, just so it sounds like technical. <laughs> Could it clone the phone? Uh, yeah, I, that to me also, I don't know. I, I'm probably doing too much work for this movie just because I like it. But um, that also felt like kind of small town policing to me, right? It was sure, just like, these sure. guys, they, they don't really know what they're doing with like a, a whole bunch of technical, you know, um, nuance so they're just kind of like using these buzzwords and, and doing as best as they can, which may not be very good, you know? I buy that for sure. And yeah, I think that's this it, at no point was I ever like, oh, that doesn't make sense or that's stupid. It's just like there's a couple of things I was like, I, I just felt like I missed it more than anything, you know, like just like maybe they mentioned it. Maybe they didn't like I never felt like it was anything or I was like, well, that, that didn't really work or that was a plot hole, you know, and anything that was it like they did a good enough job with it like just making it seem like okay yeah i buy it or it's fine you know i i don't need that to be like the guy on the roof like i don't know i was watching specter yesterday i was re-watching all the james bond movies and it's just very clear how bad that movie is and how like there are things that like it's clearly like another movie similar to skyfall that's pulling from the dark knight the Dark Knight does a really good job of, like, there's the famous scene where they're, you know, going into a tunnel, it's daytime, they come out of the tunnel, it's night. And it's done so well that you're never like, wait, what happened there? How did they do that? It's just, it's so seamless that you don't really think about it. And then with Spectre kind of trying to do those things, but so obviously failing at it. And then I just kind of see that, in my opinion, I don't know. Like, I, I just feel like they, like... There's a lot of things where I'm like, like, no, how did they do that? Or why, why is this person here? How did they get here? Or whatever. But I feel like in a movie where it's like, yes, you're going to have those inconsistencies. It's a movie. You can't show everything that happens. You need things to sort of like, you need some things to not really make that much sense. And right. for it though, to like do it in a way that I never felt like, how did they do that? Like you can like in retrospect kind of be like, that's weird that that happened. But like, Never when you're watching it, you know, because it's so well paced and it's like it's just it, it's done so well. And I really think this movie does it really well that it's like I don't really care, you know, like in like you said, Joe, it's like, yeah, it's small town police. And that totally makes sense. Like, I don't need it to be more of an explanation than that. It's like that's that's probably exactly what it was. Sorry, when you said that Spectre tried to do it but failed to do it, like I just imagine like James Bond just like being in front of a window and then like turning around suddenly it was dark or something. <laughs> right, they did this. Or he just turns thing. off the lamp. Like he's just driving down the street and it's just like without even cutting or going into any sort of tunnel, it just goes to night. I guess he just does like a clapper on his lamp. <laughs> <Yeah>. like... <laughs> I'm a very casual James Bond fan. And I got to say, uh, Paul, I, I love what you just said there. I never made that connection before. And I could sit here listening to you, like, destroy James Bond movies uh, <laughs> for logical inc inconsistencies for a very long time. That was, I was held wrapped. <laughs>
yeah that one in particular i could go on for a while about because there's a lot of them i do feel like do a decent job with that obviously there's a lot of stupid things going on in those movies but i'm usually like oh whatever like it's just like i'll believe it you know or i'll <laughs> try to find a way to believe it but that one i feel in particular just does a really horrible job with those inspector generally not highly regarded it's not um okay. at least as far as i've seen i've never really heard it was the most say... boring one for sure i think it was pretty universally like not liked as much as the other ones yeah especially for craig yeah oh we got yeah, two all his were so family. good sorry yeah. what'd you say I was just saying, we got pretty much the entire family off the top rope right now on Spectre, just <laughs> giving, giving it the people's elbow. <laughs> this is the yeah, I, don't, I think I made it like 20 minutes into that movie before I was just too bored to keep watching it. 20 but minutes? I, watched the, I don't know. I probably was more than that. I don't know. I made it really far into the mist for some reason, too. <laughs> um, but um, no, I finished the mist, didn't I? I, I don't know. It. I would hope so. <laughs> the ending's the best part. I did because it was sad. Okay, so yeah. you wanted to start this from the beginning with Casey's. <laughs> yeah, well, let's do that. Just just as a way of like getting us to hit, for basically for me to remember all the high point stuff I wanted to talk about because um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, all right, cool. Well, yeah, when it so it does start off with drew barrymore as casey becker uh getting a phone call you know and it's the the famous back and forth that now has been like parodied by the series itself like a billion different times right um, but like I, I i did want to talk about that opening scene number one because um i remember at the time what a giant deal it was that drew barrymore was going to be in this movie and then number two, it was such a, it was a really, as I recall, really well-guarded secret that she would be the first kill and that it would happen in the first, uh, you know, 10 minutes of the movie. I mean, she's on the movie poster, right? Sure. She's, a huge, she's a huge part of the advertising, uh, you know, leading up to it. Um, so I just, it's just a very, I don't know, uh, I would say to her credit and also the movie's credit, they were all willing to do that. You know, it's right up there with uh, Sam Jackson dying in that, uh, shark movie or whatever oh my god <laughs> yeah it's totally unexpected real i mean she's she's arguably the biggest star in the movie uh even though she's you know that wasn't like a, a high a super high point at that point of her career but like like down to her and winkler right uh was, and I'll she, her. was she bigger Which, than courtney cox at that time was that oh that's a fair friends? that's fair i i remember that being sort of like is was was this courtney cox's first movie I think so. I think I think she was already on Friends, but this is her first movie. I want to say. Yeah, uh, it totally valid. A uh, very good point. And I would say by today's standards, for sure, like the way that we view TV stars and movie stars, like Courtney Cox would probably have to be the most famous. I will say mm -hmm. that, like, you guys can tell me if I'm wrong about this, but I really feel like we used to view TV people very differently from movie people, oh, and it was. Like, Okay, cool. Yeah, so it was it was like taboo for like people who were movie celebs to go on TV. Uh, you certainly yes. wouldn't see them do like a series or anything like that because um, it was like less than. Um, That's true. It even felt weird like when Alec Baldwin started on 30 Rock. It was like, what's this big star doing here? Great call. Absolutely. Yeah, like Absolutely. Uh, so anyway, just, just a long way of uh, getting to the point of, of wanting to point out that I thought Drew Barrymore did a great job. I think it's very cool that she was willing to do this uh and to become like you know and i'm glad that she ended up becoming iconic because i think it was you know she earned uh having some recognition for doing something like a cool role choice like that and if wikipedia is to be believed 
uh, which was the only research I did. That, we believe Okay, great. Um, that Barrymore was actually, the plan was for her to be Sydney, And there was a last minute sort of issue. She had signed on to do something and it didn't work. So she was still like, just agreed to do this, which is really cool that like, she's like, okay, yeah, I've, I've already like signed up to do this. Like I can't, but I can't commit too much time to it. So I'll just do this one scene and bail. But it just, Hey, just ended up working out so well. And like you said, just like completely kicked started this movie, even knowing going in, it's like, I know she dies. I know she's not the star. Like, I remember yeah. this at least, but be I remember it because it was so like, it was such a great way to start the movie. And like, yeah, just to like expect that she's going to be a bigger part of this. And, and I'm sure like going into it thinking like, oh yeah, she's the star. There's no way they're going to kill her off right away. And then, have that happen in in the most probably the most brutal kill in the whole movie. Yeah, it cut, it's it would be weird to see it thinking that she survives because you'd feel like that safeness knowing you're with the main character, right? Like that you would normally see when you see Sydney in the actual movie. So it's like that would be jarring just to have that person murdered. And I was reading like the notes of the director too, and I thought it was interesting that um, he he like kind of put safe stuff inside the house, um, and he said that he thought the um, blue movie screen that you're about to watch a film felt very safe like I don't know do you guys agree with that because I thought that was really interesting that it does feel safe to see that blue screen that you're like about to watch a film but you haven't started it yet yeah I, I just it never occurred to me um but as I'm thinking about it right now like yeah like you know people it's have a good like, feeling it, it's a great feeling and pe there are people who like have pastimes of like arguing or, or or ranking their favorite like title screens right like oh universal like the classic universal or like oh columbia that's a great one you know what i mean like yeah people draw a lot of comfort and joy from that so that makes total sense yeah it just reminded me of like because the vcr it would just be like oh it's set to three that means we're watching a movie and it means the same thing in a classroom too like you walk in and you're like oh it's the blue screen setup so it's like about to start i, I, I just thought that was a okay. weird director's note I was thinking blue as in like the, the production card, but you're saying like, okay, I get what you're saying now. Okay. The actual, yeah, just that blue screen. Paul, do you know, do you remember? Cause mm -hmm. we had it on our TV and yeah. it was in the Scream TV. Yeah. It was in the Scream TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel I, like I'm not making the amount of sense to you guys that I'm trying. No, to. I, I get what you're no, saying. I get it now. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sure. And you're saying like, oh, it's kind of that comforting thing because you know, it's like you're still in the planning stages like she was she's in the yeah, planning or the pre preparation stages for it's a watching very a movie safe zone. she's yeah. like preparing she's preparing for someone to come over she's got the screen set up because she's about to start a video she's got the popcorn going like these are right. all very safe activities that just means you're going to be in with one person like, and the all, person? like it's a safe yes and the person she's waiting for is big and he plays football <laughs> so we're Another all very zone. Yes. Exactly. Uh yeah. She no. doesn't know how to make Jiffy Pop, which is upsetting. <laughs> uh yeah. Also, I, I'd never seen I know this is like stupid, but I'd never seen popcorn made that way before. So like it just oh. it bugged me so much. Uh <laughs> not in like a oh what like what the hell are they doing? Just more like what? Like what are you stove top? Going on, yeah. yeah, like just use the microwave. What are you doing? <laughs> oh, you never made it on a stovetop? We always made it on a stovetop. Really? Yeah. But never no, like, I, <laughs> Yeah. Jiffy Pop, from... though, you're supposed to shake it the entire time. 
Oh, really? Okay. She was fucked from the get-go, whether she made that popcorn. <laughs> it it was going to burn. It was, was going to burn. burn. Yeah. Well, so the, the, you know, as that scene goes on, like the, the popcorn gets very, like stresses you out, right? Not just if yeah. you're stupid like me, but also because it starts burning. Uh, <laughs> and, and then you have like the fire alarm going off. Um, a theme that this movie has in spades that I think really serves it well, and I think the series loses over time, is, is that the people like the victims are fighting back and frequently doing like a pretty decent job. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and something I really like about that is that, you know, when the killers seem more fallible or when the, um, you know, the, the victims or the characters seem more plucky, like it makes me care more about them, you know, in a way that, you know, I feel their death way worse if they've shown a lot of competence or a lot of you know like when you're really rooting for them whereas right. in like classic other classic slasher films that i still i love like don't get me wrong but like you're watching halloween like you don't get to know any of those kids before they get iced like nobody cares right. um, and there is probably some guy who like has halloween like tattooed all over his body who's now screaming at me but um <laughs> truth i i think this movie does a good job of building character up by the killers being less than like perfect um and in this scene you know uh, casey is able to you know sneak out of the house it, she probably could have been home free you know if she hadn't uh, stopped but understandable that she would stop to gawk at her gutted boyfriend um right but yeah like uh she she like she grabs a knife you know she's doing a lot of stuff you're like all right all right like she's not just uh you know going blithely to her death and it, and it makes her eventual death have that much more impact i also think that they the movie does a great job of not showing her in the moment like getting like diced up and stuff yeah, um, yeah. it's one it's just it's basically one stab to kind of like her you know her her chest or sternum or whatever and it's like slow motion not super bloody uh but it feels like it has weight um it feels dramatic you know, instead of tossed off or or that life is cheap. Um, yeah. You see her the, go ahead, sorry. On that note too, I, I didn't realize this before, but he said that he did make very careful because he knew this was um, also a comedy on top of a horror. And he said he wanted to be very careful during the kills that it didn't overlap. So he didn't want there to be jokes around the kills because he wanted the kills to feel serious, but yeah. he knew it was still a comedy movie. So the comedy draws like brings the characters together in the in between kills but there's no it's never supposed to be funny when someone actually dies i think that rules i didn't yeah I, I didn't know that and i think that's awesome uh one thing i don't like about slasher movies and uh one thing that i'm gonna end up not liking about S scream as the series goes on is i really don't like how flippant uh they can be about the death happening yeah you know but yeah they barely killed just like the principal they barely killed cared about anybody I think the biggest reaction we got is Sydney screaming at Tatum's body. That's pretty much it. Yeah, well, you got you have the you know uh, Pacey's mom when she comes home and sees the disemboweled corpse, oh, you know, yeah. right? But like, of yeah. course, that's the iconic scream before the scream title hits, uh, right. right? To start the movie off, but um, but no, I hear what you're saying. Like, I do think though that the deaths, like there, like you said, there's no jokes about them, and there's not like any. I almost cussed again. Sorry. Uh, there's not any like quipping by the by, okay. There's not any fucking quipping <laughs> by Ghostface, which frankly I like. You know what I mean? Like yes, they are. They're getting down to business. They're doing the job. You have you know sometimes you'll uh, 
hear them say you know, a little smart ass shit to to on the, over the phone or something. But anyway, uh, I think they this first death sets up a really great dynamic for the entire movie, and the whole scene sets up a really great dynamic for the entire movie that um, everybody's a suspect, but like anybody could make it out. Right. And so and so when someone yeah. doesn't, it, it's all it's all the worse. It hits you all the harder. Very true. Yeah, and uh, it's like. I totally felt that, I mean, there were moments where you're wanting to scream at the TV or are actually audibly screaming at the TV. It's like, what are you doing? Run that way. But I do think they're all moments where it's like you show the the sheer terror in the moment and you show like, I legitimately feel like, you know, is it Casey, the Drew Barrymore character? Like, yeah. I feel like in that moment that it's like, there's just like, she's like, I don't know if this is the correct thing to do, you know? It's like, that's kind of how it's is like, do I run? Like, is that really the best idea? I'm kind of leaving myself out here. Like, I don't know if, like, should I try to hide? Like, just that, that it's yeah. like, you can see that she's thinking through this. She's obviously already seen something incredibly traumatic. So you you do feel the weight of it. And you're yeah, you're absolutely right. It feels like it's good that, like, Ghost, I don't feel like he's that terrifying of a killer, really. But they do a good job not making it so it's like, Oh yeah, he's he's saying some stupid quip or like it's a joke when somebody gets stabbed. Like it's important. Yeah. And like it's heavy. And it's like the parents coming home and finding her hanging oh, God, from yeah. a tree is just gutting. Dramatic. Like that's yeah. a horrible, horrible word to choose right there. But like <laughs> it's, it's just really devastating to see that. Like, um so yeah, I do think they did a good job with the the balancing that and i don't think it's like you know we're probably kind of comparing it to movies today that are pretty big move big budget movies today the blockbuster movies that are really bad about balancing comedy and and any sort of weight and can't right. seem to handle any sort of situation that might put them in a vulnerable position or you know like whatever it is, like just cannot handle that for a second and needs something to kind of come along with that. And to see something that like is like partially comedy, but not dwell on that or even touch on that and lets those things have the weight that they are, should have is really cool. And yeah, and you guys brought up that like it was cool that the victims got to like fight back so hard. But I also think it's cool that like the ghost faces even though you're scared of them because you don't know who they are. And I think that's why they're like, that's what's scary about them to them too. It's just, it's a person with a mask. You don't know what they're capable of because you don't know who it is, yeah. but they also make the ghost face pretty human at the same time because they yeah. get hit with stuff. They fall over, they trip over stuff. They like fall backwards. It's not like, it's not like Michael Myers where it's like, this tank is just like barging through here. It's right. like, this is clearly a guy or a woman that I'm like trying to fight off. But it's a person I could win. I could win. Yeah. It, yeah, they did a great job because, I mean, uh, it, the, the fact that the killers are fallible, I think, raises the, the stakes because, as I was saying a second ago, like, it gives you a bit of hope that the, yeah. the, the you know, the, the, the person being stalked could get out of there. And so, like, when it doesn't happen, I mean, you're still terrified of the killers. Like, they move so fast and there's, like, all these, like, mm -hmm. you know, furtive movements and they come out of nowhere and everything, like the movie does not lose any of its um you know thrill capacity by virtue of making the killer seem a bit more human like you're saying it only gains from doing that 
uh, because it makes it feel more realistic and grounded to me anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, especially for, I feel like it especially showed up for Tatum's. I know we're, we're getting out of order again, but like she like hits him with the fridge. And so like, yes, he, he falls backwards then. And like, you feel, ho I, I don't know. I guess the first time I saw it, I really thought Tatum was going to get out of there until she got caught in the mm -hmm. dog door. It's Which, like, yeah. And it makes her death so much worse. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I don't yeah. know why she tried to do that. Like, I know that she was scared. But... Again, I, I just think it's that thing where it's like almost you could see somebody being like, okay, I think I can fit through this. And then like once you're enough through it, you're like, <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Like, it was, I, it's back such a up, horrible, like... yeah, it's such a horrible like shot when they show her, like they show her from the front and it looks like she's more out than like, cause she's got like her whole torso out when she, they show her from the front. And then they do the like they shoot the camera around. They show her from Ghostface's perspective. She's got one arm out and her like half her head, and she's just like flailing her legs around, which is like when you're like, okay, this is a little hard right. to watch because she thinks she's making progress, but we're seeing it from his point of view, and you're like, oh no, honey, this is so sad. Right. Well, I, in Tatum's defense, uh, I have had my foot, you know, like the garage door has come down on it. And then uh, it's like, oh, there's a foot here. I'm going to go up now. <laughs> like, uh, I've never known a garage door to be particularly deadly. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. you know, I, I would think if I were in her position, like, okay, I'm going to cross this thing. And if it doesn't work out, you know, it'll be like, I'll nudge the top of the, you know, the door. And it'll be like, oh, time to go back down. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, turns out she and I were both wrong. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of had that same feeling where I'm just like, yeah, if you if, if there's anything slightly in the way and you're trying to close, it's like, no, sorry, going back up, try again, like you're missing something. That was like an old ass garage opener thing, too. No, totally. I I am not uh poking holes or or whatever in the in the story. It's it's a it's a good death, I think, because it's like again, kind of iconic, and it, she's such a great character. Uh that you really hate to see her go. I mean, I think Tatum is, for my money, probably the best character in the movie. Um, I love Sydney the most because I love, you know, Sydney. I think is one of the greatest final girls of all time. Like she's for me, she's probably like number two behind uh, Jamie Lee. Uh, mm. But um, Tatum, I you know, doesn't have the weight of being like the lead of the movie. She doesn't have to be like the audience stand-in or the person you kind of like aspire to be. She can just be like a fun character who is a smart ass, but also like pretty tough mm -hmm. and very yeah. resourceful. Like she's great. And so when she checks out, like Kelly was talking about, like oh, that one hits hard. And I, I know that Rose McGowan too, she kind of made that character way different than it was supposed to be. Cause I, I it's weird to think of the characters like when they were, like, were originally talking about them before they were cast. Cause like Dewey was supposed to be like a hunky police officer. And then Tatum was supposed to be like a tomboy character. So mm. like, I guess she got her wardrobe and was like, absolutely not. This is not what Tatum wears. And she went and bought her own clothes and like made her own character, dyed her hair blonde. So like, awesome. she I like, like made it, an entire new character out of like, yeah. just supposed to be Sydney. I mean, it was probably supposed to be like Sydney's like tomboy, doesn't talk very much out of the way character. I like that they kind of presented her the way they did, but they didn't do the tropey thing of having her be like, oh, she's the, you know, she's going to die because she's has sex with somebody like that sort right. of stereotype. Like they did. I don't know, like just the way that she dressed kind of made it seem like that, but then kind of had her character still. I don't know. 
be a whole yeah they didn't make her thing. a dumb character in any not way. at all yeah like, she was smart she was comp- like she like had she had sydney's back the entire time there wasn't like any friction or anything right i don't know it was she's a good character she even like does real talk with sid at one point in the movie about her mom being like yeah. I don't yeah. know, Sid, like maybe the rumors were true. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that, you know, that uh, just from like a friendship standpoint, you know, and also from like a movie character trope standpoint, like you guys were talking about, like you don't see that. Yeah. Uh, she is real and played real by Rose McGowan, who does a fantastic job uh, in a way that, uh, if, again, to the movie's credit, like I think everybody's doing really great work. And she, for me, is is one of the centerpiece performances. There's yeah, not... she has she has that conversation with Sydney, and then she has the one in the supermarket with her because Sydney kept repeatedly blaming her like post traumatic stress disorder for not wanting to have sex with Billy, and she just kept saying that over and over again. And, um, Tatum was finally like, "Well, that makes sense." <laughs> like, yeah. Also, Tatum sure, said, yeah. "Billy doesn't deserve you, or Billy nor his dick deserve you." Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, she's like she, again, she's the grounded friend who's doing like in, in the the maybe the sagest person in the movie right just in terms of like objective being right <laughs> right yeah like in the in the very next scene you know after i mean not the very next scene but uh in the first one where we get introduced to sydney you know billy is like climbing through a window being a fucking creep and uh talking about the exorcist as a means of trying to have sex with her right. uh and uh you know toward the end of that scene um you know she, her dad kind of hears something uh, and, and tries to open the door and isn't able to do it. Of course, the being unable to open the door all the way comes back later. Good little uh, seeding moment. Yes, that was that was cool. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, totally. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's just very funny to me because, I again, I love Sydney. I think her character, I think Nev Campbell fucking rules. Uh, I love that character. I love her performance as that character. And I think the movie series has, to date, to my knowledge, uh, treated her with the respect that she deserves. Um, I told you she's alive. She's fine. I know. I know. But <laughs> I was hurt very badly by the previous movie, as you know. Uh, R.I.P. Dewey, I love you. Uh, anyway, uh, it's just very funny to me that at the end of that scene where, like, Billy's sneaking back out, Sid says to him, like, I really appreciate the romantic gesture. And I'm like, what romantic gesture? What the hell are you I talking know, he about? he didn't do shit. He was just creepy as hell. Yeah, yeah. he's like, he's creepy trying to get in her pants. So, like, oh, you yeah. know, when Tatum is like, he sucks and he doesn't deserve you. I'm like, yeah, yeah, Tatum. <laughs> she sees it. She sees it. Yeah. <laughs> that is cool. That's what's funny too. I feel like all the other characters kept like calling Billy a dreamboat. Like that came up several yeah. times. And I'm like, is he the, like, do people actually think that within the series? Like, was he already like called that and then they casted Skeet and we're just kind of like, just keep saying it? I don't know. <laughs> okay. So I do have a question about that. Uh, I, cause I, uh, I, I like women, so I'm not like, you know, a, a someone who rates the attractiveness of men very accurately, I guess. To me, Skeet Ulrich does seem to be a dreamboat. Like he's very pretty. Is he not? I think he's creepy. I think, well, especially in this sure. movie, obviously he's coming, he's supposed to be coming off as creepy, but to me, he looked like a 30 year old man in high school. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just how movies work. Come on. <laughs> So I don't, I don't know. I, I would even put probably Stu before Billy if you were calling anybody like good looking in that group. Really? Wow. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I, by the way, I'm not trying to, you're blowing my mind here, but like, I, I love getting that perspective. Like, 
uh, I watched these movies as like, like I said, like I was like 10 years old or something. And probably it's just the movie propagandizing me, but I'm like, yeah, Billy is really sure. here. Yeah. Wow. And they repeatedly say it. They call him dreamy. Like a bunch of different girls call him dreamy. Even those two girls like in the um, bathroom for like two seconds. They're like, hey, right. dreamboat boyfriend. Well, uh, I just don't think he earned the dreamboat title. It's He's like, like I said, he's not an ugly man, but it's like, I wouldn't say dreamboat. Now here, Kelly, I'm going to have to say that I do believe she calls him uh, her bubble butt boyfriend, Billy. Uh, okay, and sorry. I guess no, I, the only reason I'm saying it is just because I would agree with you that I don't, I don't think they're accurate about him having a bubble butt. Uh, he has, That's true too. He has he's classic white. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's got classic <laughs> white man. Um, just like, just like I do. Uh, that's the one way that I'm similar to Skeet Ulrich. Uh, no, yeah, but I- It'd be funny if the character description just said bubble butt and they just decided that they were going to get a character. They're like, well, we can't change the lines now. Yeah. We got Skeet, we gotta keep saying dreamboat, we gotta keep saying bubble butt, we didn't get your dream man, Wes, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I do like have a vague recollection of him being kind of positioned as this, uh, next Johnny Depp or like, you know, like, a, a, I don't know, I mm. want to say poor, poor man's Johnny Depp, but like, he, yeah, yeah they, yeah, they literally cast him because he looked like Johnny Depp um, really in what is that horror movie that he was in? Oh, Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th. No, it's not Friday the 13th. Um, what's the Joe? Uh, it was Friday the 13th. No, no Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm yes. Street. Yes. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Like doing like a reprise or whatever of that role. Yeah. Yeah, I got uh, you. So that's that's like again, uh, according to the Wikipedia article that I read, that is why they went with him. Um, and kept for another perspective, Kellator said that she thinks that it was the hair that was the biggest issue for him, but she also does that not find him bad. attractive. Yeah. I think uh, so too. I think if he had different hair, he'd be better looking. <laughs> Yeah. I totally agree with that. 90s yeah. hair. Yeah, thank you. Yes. Okay. Uh, we, we have to grade on a curve here, people. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, mm -hmm. No, but totally. It, it is a problem looking at it right now because you're just like, oh, it's so greasy and like parted down the middle. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, such a bad style. But it's also a style. I'm like, I remember that style. So totally. yeah, everyone had that for the longest time. It was always ugly. Yeah. It's like, the, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, he's got the big eyes. He's got the cheekbones. You know, he's got everything kind of working for him. Uh, at least as far as like me, who you know, I'm a '90s child, so I was conditioned to thinking that he was in fact a dreamboat. But I do love this. I love this love for Matt Lillard, though, like because that's my guy. Uh, so I'm glad to hear he's a considered a handsome man. I would say so, and he's like he's always casted as a, as a handsome man. Except for Shaggy, I'd say. <laughs> but he's got the perfect Shaggy face. We all have to agree. <laughs> Even though, like, no one said Shaggy's ugly. He's just, you Nobody know, he's Shaggy. Yeah, yeah, I always yeah. think of him as, like, the, the quippy best friend guy. But that's yeah. probably just because he played that, like, in two movies with Freddie Prinze Jr. or something. Um, yep. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, like, I, th I think, uh, all, I'm, I'm joking a little bit about, obviously, Matt Lillard's, you know, he's a movie star. Like, he's a, obviously a good-looking guy. Um, I do think though that his, as much as we should crap on all the '90s style in this movie, for some reason I think his is the best uh, in terms of like long-lasting. Mm. Uh, you know, I got, I, he's got the, like the short cropped hair. Mm -hmm. uh, you know that I think uh, is a good look pretty much no matter what. 
Uh, and something about his sweaters and jeans situation. I'm just like, yeah, all right. He just looked like a guy, Classic. I think. So, yeah. Yeah. Never, never goes Until out he started style. wearing that robe that he wore in two movies, I think. He wore that robe around. Oh, really? Because he wrote, um, what, I forget what movie it is. I think it's She's All That, where he's like the super boyfriend that's all like on MTV or something. Oh, okay. He wears that robe around. That's awesome. So he's just a robe guy. Oh, man, I, guy. when I saw this movie, like I came away from it being like, that's the coolest dude on the planet. Like I thought <laughs> Billy was pretty, but I thought Matt Lillard, I was like, that's a, <laughs> that's a kind of guy I could be. I should be a guy like that. <laughs> I thought talking like that for a while. (laughs) Yeah. And spitting a lot when I talk, unfortunately. (laughs) I loved Randy's intensity. And I felt like (laughs) he's the man, like I've already said this, uh, but I feel like not, not like someone I'm like, I wish I was him, except I feel like he's got an odd confidence as well. He's someone who's just like, you know, he's very much, he's very much a nerd. He's very much like, you know, has very specific interests and gets, it gets into them and, you know, it's like, but it's like nobody cares because he's so much like this is who I am. And I know, yeah, he had confidence. Yeah, and I, I appreciated that about him. Um, and I, I well, really enjoy this intense performance from. And I think Dana that's the Kennedy. only reason he he didn't feel as like it didn't feel out of place for him to be at a party like that because he didn't feel so nerdy. I think because what you're saying because he had that confidence where he's kind of like. I can stand up and address this entire room about something they don't care about. Yeah. And they listened (laughs) and they listened to him and they were hanging on his every word and he was doing a good job. He was performing. Yeah. Well, it seems to me that he's also like, he, he fits in very well, even though he's clearly like not as beautiful as these incredibly beautiful people that he's friends with, you know, in his, in his core group. Like they still like respected within the group, uh, and you know, like just even like the small bits, like when Sid thinks that Ghostface is Randy, uh, you know, she doesn't like talk to him like in a dismissive or shitty way. Like she's genuinely happy that he's calling her, right? Like he just seems to be like a valued part of yeah. this pretty cool seeming group. Yeah, and it's the only time that they're happy to see Ghostface because Tatum thinks it's Randy and she plays along. Oh Sid yeah, it's Randy and she plays along. But That's until really it's creepy. anybody yeah. else, they're like, this is fucking creepy. Randy, it would have been fine, but you right. assholes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. I hadn't thought about that. Please, Mr. Ghostface, don't kill me. <laughs> I want to be in the sequel. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I, you know, I guess we, at this point, we've talked about almost all of the, the kids. I, mean, I think Jamie Kennedy could probably stand to get a bit more sugar for his role. Because, like, you know, talk about that confidence I love that scene where he's in the video store with with Stu, and oh, yeah. unbeknownst to, or I guess, beknownst to him, Billy, but didn't know that Billy was so close. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I like the part where he, uh, he, Jamie Kennedy's like, you know, Randy is like, uh, you know, now that Billy tried to kill her, thinks Tim would go out with me. Uh, he's like, right. <laughs> yeah, has that confidence of even being able to ask that question. Uh, you gotta he love it. it twice too, I think. That's true. Yeah. At the end, he, he thinks he can get with her again. But yeah, that's when we first see like Stu's big. Stu had like the weirdest reactions to everything in the video store, but I loved it so much. Like, because that's when he did that weird laugh when he first says that. He goes, yeah. Oh, really? Did, like the overacting thing. But yeah. like, he does that throughout the whole video store scene because he just seems insane. And I think that's supposed to throw you off too because you, I mean, everyone's supposed to throw oh, you yeah. off. It's a whodunit. But I think that's when you're supposed to be like this crazy guy in the video store. 
And then if you watch the extras in the background, which is always fun to do if you've seen a movie a bunch of times, there's like a bunch of girls that like walk up while they're having a conversation, like one by one. And they just, they're staring straight at them and just looking like appalled of what they're saying. And they just walk <laughs> away before it's over. It's just like, there's just like random girls just one by one, like what's going on? I have to leave before this is Yeah, resolved. this is, this, these people make me uncomfortable. I need to That's so that's so funny to get the outside perspective because yeah, like for me, like when he does like the, <laughs> no, no, I don't. Like when he does like that reading, like I know that guy. Yeah. I've been friends <laughs> with that guy. I know the guy who like goes out of his way to like insult me by, you know, over laughing at this ridiculous, you know, uh, <laughs> thing I just suggested about how I might be good enough, you know? Uh, that's so funny. I do... I love his reaction to that. I love like this, the friendship that him and Randy seem, cause like Randy's not like super offended by Stu right. kind of shitty to him. Like, it's just kind of like, yeah, whatever. Like we're dudes. Like, uh, you know, we, we go back and forth. Uh, there's the part two where like after Randy freaks out, cause to me, that's the Randy freak out scene. That's the scene where Randy becomes like an actual suspect. Cause he's the one who's like working himself up into a lather. You know, he's like, there's a formula. There's a very simple formula. Right. He's yelling. And then he does the, everybody's a suspect. And the store, like, you know, everybody in the store, like, stares at him. And then you see, it had to have been an ad lib, but uh, Matt Lillard does, like, a little kind of, like, weed smoking gesture. Like, sorry, this dude's, you know. Yeah, I just, I love that scene for Stu. I'm like, yeah, he's such a smart ass. That's great. He does that weird creepy ear thing, too. I think that's that same scene where he, like, wiggles the bottom of his ear, like, while he's talking. He, I think he does it to Jamie. It's creepy. I don't know. But I I never suspected Randy for a second, which is funny. I, I never thought that he was the killer, even like the first times I watched it. Hmm. I didn't I think either. It's just because of the trust with everybody that had him, like, I guess that, that could, especially in the movies now, they probably would have thrown him in. But it just seemed really hmm. wild, like wild if it was Randy. Yeah, totally. I, I didn't really suspect him either. I just think, of, again, from the terms of like what I think the movie's trying to tell me, uh, like Randy's the, the case for Randy that the movie gives you is like, okay, well he knows all these things. Like he is like a slasher movie obsessed weirdo. And then also he like that scene in the movie store is where he like loses his cool, like getting all like freaked out about, you know, uh, white, white people aren't observing the rules. Yeah. You could see it being like that classic, like, yeah, he he's created this whole thing. Like right. he, yeah, and he's, he's the narrator, the movie. he's bringing people right. through it. Yeah, he knows exactly what needs to be done to get get the result he wants. And like we can see him being like the revealed as like the puppet master. Even if there's like another killer, he's like, I even like made sure that you like brought you in to do this, that kind of thing. Like, um, yeah, but I, I same way, even if I, I didn't remember who the killer was, I kind of knew it was I kind of remembered that it wasn't Randy. I think just because I remember the scene where where Ghostface comes up behind him when he's watching. So oh, and I yeah, thought he died there. Time. Like I thought that the character had died, or at least that's what I was telling myself when I was watching it again. I, I like, hmm. remembered him getting stabbed, even though I've seen it a bunch of times. I think just because in the new fifth one, the girl, they repeat that scene and she gets stabbed. Mm. But um, yeah, Randy, I could have sworn he got stabbed. But what's funny is that, so he comes after Randy and I think it's Stu at this point. He comes after Randy after Sydney jumps out of the window onto the boat and like runs off into the darkness. Great move but by Sid. Just... What's that? Great move by Sid in, in a, oh. you know, slasher movies. Absolutely. Are really... 
Yeah, slasher movies are movies where people, you're like, oh my God, what are they doing? Like, oh no. But like that whole scene where she's running away yeah. from Ghostface and like goes out the window and jumps down on the boat, you're like, hey, she nailed yeah. it. She did. Yeah. But what's funny is that like he's about to kill Randy. And the only reason he doesn't is because Sydney yells something from outside, like help or something. Did right. he just forget that she was out there? Like, because she like goes off and goes running, and then he's like, "Oh crap!" I like he was about to kill Randy. Yeah. He's like, oh crap! I gotta go kill Sydney. It's like, did you just forget she fell out of the window and like is getting away? That felt a little like why not still kill Randy too? I guess like yeah, like why would that be distracting? It was like oh shit, Sydney. Oh yeah, I I had to work. I guess that fits Stu's personality. I guess maybe only, yeah yeah. The only thing I can think of is that maybe he thinks by virtue of hearing her call for help that there's somebody there to help her. You know, uh, and yeah. And you can always get Randy later because Randy's kind of an easy mark. I don't know. True, and he's drunk. Like the guy's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah that that could be there's a couple that was that was the, the whole like the ending sequence where i was like a couple scenes where i was like why why are they doing this why did gail wait so long to do her thing um yeah did, when did she get the gun and why did she stand there that's it i get yeah. a lot of secondhand embarrassment when people make big speeches before they're about to like get like disarmed yeah I'm like gail just quit talking you're gonna get the like the silencer or whatever happened the uh whatever safety um but yeah i always feel bad for them like she made that whole speech and she doesn't get her like and kill and yeah. sydney even got her i like that ending yeah it's good i mean it's we probably we haven't talked as much about uh courtney cox as we probably should have that's um, we haven't at all have we I right. guess, okay so who dies after casey well, so yeah, after Casey, there's this, there's the bedroom scene with uh, Sid and uh, and Billy, and then after that, it goes to the school where they're all talking about Casey's death, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where you meet Gail, because Gail is there to to cover the story of Casey's death at the high school that Casey went to, and that's where Sid sees her, and that's where you start getting some of the backstory that Gail, played by Courtney Cox, was a reporter who had written a book about um, her investigation about sid's mom's death uh rape and murder uh mm. which is like pretty fucking intense um by you know somebody that eventually the person convicted was cotton weary and cotton was convicted on sydney's testimony or so the movie tells you and gail was a reporter who covered that and who appears to have some kind of relationship with cotton at least to the extent where she, she believes that cotton didn't actually do it so you get this early back and forth between sid and uh and Gail, um, is is it here where Sydney punches her? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because so, yeah. she she was like trying. They were having like a back and forth about the book, and like Sydney was like, "I'll have to read your book," and she said, "I'll send you a copy," and then she punches her in the face. Mm-hmm. Well deserved. Yeah, but here's an example though, right? Of like, Courtney Cox does such a fucking great job in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, her character on Friends, I'm no Friends expert, but I've, I've seen a billion oh, episodes. You're right? talking to two Friends experts. So. Okay, great. So you guys can tell me if I'm wrong about this, but like, I feel like her character outside of maybe Phoebe is positioned as like the kind, nice one, right? Mm-hmm. She used to be like overweight. She got, and she has like, I don't know. I, I think the, the show like has something about like her kind of having some empathy uh, for being like this beautiful person who perhaps was, you know, that had struggled with her weight or something. I don't know. But to me, she's always positioned as like the nice empathetic one. Uh, 
Yeah. And then for Cor for Courtney to play, okay, good. So I'm not totally crazy on that. Uh, for Courtney to play against type as Gail Weathers, who is a total asshole, uh, rocks. It's great. And I, I think her delivery of that line where uh, she says, I'll send you a copy to Sid of the book about her mom being raped and murdered. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She delivers she it with such panache. Like, she's so good. She plays bitch very well, but like they always say, like the like the nicest actors mm -hmm. always play like the rude characters way better than a rude person ever could, because they always say that about like Rachel, like casting Rachel McAdams as Regina George and Mean Girls, like it's mm -hmm. always like the sweetest individual that you could find just being like this completely mean person, just for whatever reason they can just do. It. Maybe it's because they've seen it, they've seen it way more than they actually experience themselves. So. Could yeah, that makes total yeah. sense. I mean, I think it, it seems to me that like also someone who who truly is kind and like has empathy in real life, like they know what real shittiness looks like. Yeah, and what cuts the deepest, like what kind yeah. of like underhand mm -hmm. comment that maybe a mean person doesn't even think is actually mean. Right. That's that's the thing. It's they lack the self awareness to realize because I often think that a lot of people, yeah, they don't know they're being cruel. They don't understand yeah. they're being cruel, and that's obviously something somebody with a lot of empathy is going to understand and like know exactly how that works and and draw on that um i think that yeah so courtney cox again according to this wikipedia article which um it actually did kind of lobbied to play this role and the big reason they kept um saying that she wasn't right for it is because of her reputation as that character mm. on friends okay um, yeah as the sort of which is interesting because i think that kind of shifts later in the friends like i think she becomes oh, yeah. a, a gail um later on but like she just gets bossy i think is the, yeah the, she never I, gets mean. I personally really like gail as a character and i think that I they really did a good job and i wanted to yeah i'm glad we're circling back and talking about this because i think this is another thing that they do a lot of good job they do a lot of good job they do they do, <laughs> <laughs> they do a good job um with these kind of tropey things but not really calling attention to the fact that they're turning the tropes on their head just doing it and i think gail is the maybe the best example of that because she's a character that you would assume especially since one of the first the first times we see her she gets punched in the face by the main character someone we're supposed to sympathize with that we're supposed to kind of feel like she's gonna she's gonna get something you know she's she's going to get hers before this movie ends and for her to kind of turn into a hero of the movie and of the series is really interesting and how quickly they were able to kind of like make her seem like, yeah, she's doing some shitty things and she yeah. doesn't have a lot of tact and like obviously made a, you know, a lot of poor decisions and like maybe doesn't really understand how she comes across or whatever it is. But ultimately she was correct about this, had something that she was very passionate about freeing this man who she truly believed was innocent. And turns out that that was the case. And like, I think just made it seem like, yes, that's going to be a tense relationship, you know, yeah. and she's not doing a good job coming at it thinking like Sydney's probably not going to appreciate this because I'm, you know, this is a, something that is, you know, I can't really fully understand how your, her relationship with her mother is completely separate from all of this. And I need right. like, 
obviously lacks, you know, the empathy to understand that. But at the same time, is fighting her own fight and is actually doing it for like, even though she's sort of like she under also has the awareness to understand, like when she gets to the party that it's like she knows kind of how she comes across and what her show is to people you know yeah she always calls herself like a cheesy journalist and stuff yeah she's she's not delusional she's aware of that yeah yeah no she she is self-deprecating that in a way that i think is it makes the character more likable um but she also she clearly has a lot of ambition right like i i totally agree with what you're saying paul that her her crusade on behalf of um cotton weary is like something that's very interesting and puts her at loggerheads in ways that she may not anticipate or, or in ways that even if she does anticipate, she doesn't care because she like has convictions about, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, about the crusade and it's, it's, you know, rightness. Um, But also to me, the movie is telling you that she is very aware that this is also a lucrative opportunity for her, right? Like Mm -hmm. it happens to coincide with cotton being, innocent in her mind but also like as it happens this also puts her on a national scale and maybe gives her an opportunity to you know move up in the world um so it's it's that same kind of like shitty quality that you know that ambition uh makes you be like oh this this reporter sucks (laughs) oh yeah uh, yeah Yeah. and i think it's realistic in that she gets her hero moment but doesn't do like a whole 180 on her like whole like thing so yes she she has the hero moment. She shoots the person. She saves the day, and then she's immediately back on the field with a new camera guy. Like there's like it's not phased that her that mm-hmm. Kenny Kenny was murdered. Thank and you. And then you're welcome. Um, <laughs> she just goes straight into it. Like they're obviously still cleaning up the scene, so she was fresh off that scene, jumped right in front of the camera, had something prepared. Like yeah, totally. Ready. I it, 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 yeah. Sorry, Glenn. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I did. I, I appreciated that about this movie is that they didn't. I like that there wasn't that complete like, oh, yeah, she's she's changed her life. And the, like all of this stuff, it's just like there's still she's still there, you know, like she's still doing what she's doing. We view her in a different way now. Yeah, Gail's not but, like I'm changed. Yeah, right. She, yeah, she doesn't have her like Ebenezer Scrooge moment. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, I, I think it's what it's what makes gail a great character and what makes gail a great character also is the way that like courtney cox like navigates that right like yeah she has like these selfish qualities but she also has like some of these like pretty fearless qualities uh and ultimately she's going to remain this ambitious person who also like has principles of a kind even if they are self-serving in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um and she's great with a turn of phrase like uh I, I know Kelly was saying that she has she has the cringe factor going on with with the speech, but I kind of like her speech at the end of the movie because uh, it's not like super flowery or anything. It's just her narrating like, "Here's how I'm gonna get famous off you assholes." Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't have anything against the speech itself. I just don't. I get secondhand embarrassing embarrassment knowing that it's like she's gonna fail it's- after it. Because I want her, okay, I want yeah. her to have that cool moment after that speech is what hurts me. I got I you. Could, okay. I yeah. could see myself in that same position, being like, "I'm about to like blow this kid like brains out <laughs> right after this," and then yeah. I just get like pushed out of the way, and then like they're in the same exact position they were in before I stormed in. That's sad. <laughs> well, she's she's uh, you know from I do love the part where after she gets hit. 
you you flash to the next scene, which is Sydney staying at Tatum and Dewey's house with you know their mom because uh, her you know Sydney's dad went out of town. She didn't want to be alone. Um, and uh, you see Tatum t- talking about it. And she's like, you know, talking about it like Sydney's like a prize fighter or whatever. You know, Sid, Superman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just a very fun, cute scene that feels like very real and like lived in. Uh, in a way that I, I find enjoyable. But then, uh, you know, right after that, as as the movie goes on, you know, the next time Sid and um, Gail see each other, you know, Gail's like giving her like the, stay away. <laughs> like you know, five feet away at the very least. But right. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. I don't know. I, they, it's it's moments like that where you, you like Gail and then you, but you know, you see her like mistreat Kenny or criticize his weight or whatever. You're like, oh, yeah. But it's just, again, it, it all, it's Not the- yeah, you, I totally you, felt that because that's another thing where I was just like that also felt real and it felt cruel and it did kind of make you feel like I'd like that it was such like what a it's a really complicated character in a role that it was unnecessary to make that complicated, which I appreciate. Oh. Right. Like yeah. that's a great way to put it. Yeah. It's like they did not need to add that much depth and they did and that is just why i think that this just this doesn't just you know i think there it could have very easily kind of just been like yeah it was enjoyable i like how they kind of played on some tropes and stuff and kind of forgettable but like it did what it did but like those sort of extra things that just let you live in this world and let you really kind of feel like you are invested in these characters and you have like okay i i know these i know this relationship i know this person i know like you were saying joe it's like Stu feels like a dude Stu feels like a dude i know Stu feels like yeah. a dude that yeah that we've all been friends with and like they all kind of feel like that just like i know these people i they do a really good job of just making it feel like these people exist they're actually going through this and i believe what you know i believe how they're reacting and at the same time so i just that's it just does a really good job even though it's like yeah i could have played it off as it kind of being a parody and kind of being like you know super into like calling out the tropes and that kind of stuff it's like but it went to it's just like on top of like mentioning that stuff and showing appreciation for it it also was its own like itself was a good movie yeah i think they 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 added in that stuff especially with randy but i think they did it in a way that just made you feel smarter while you were watching it because you're like oh i'm gonna look out for people saying i'll be right back which Stu says immediately for comic effect and yeah, then like courtney cox's character <laughs> yeah. says when she leaves kenny which is why you kind of suspect dewey again because courtney cox says i'll be right back to kenny mm-hmm. who is going to die and Good Courtney call. lives. And then, like, especially, and then when he's making the speech, he says, no one should be having sex. And then we know that Sydney and Billy are having sex. And we're like, oh no, like, uh, like she's losing the fight right now. Like, sure. This, like, she's going to die next. So, like, we're like being explained the rules and then, like, showing, they're also showing us, like, the rules being broken, like, in time. So we're, we're trying to, like, figure out which ones are actually applying. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah all these observations together like said together in in such quick succession uh rules because the thing about this movie that i think is really um unpredictable and probably like you wouldn't have any real reason to think that it could pull it off is you know paul just got done saying 
these characters feel realistic, like they are reacting in ways that you find pretty, uh, you know, realistic by virtue of the fact that these are people that you kind of feel like you've known in your life. And then here you have also Kelly talking about how, um, you know, there's this meta quality to the movie where like it's narrating to you, right? Um, which I know at the time people were like very down on Kevin Williamson, or at least they were starting to get tired of his routine because, you know, he did like Dawson's Creek and, um, and, and, and movies that like his TV show featured teens talking in like very unrealistic ways, sure. right? Like nobody talks like, and then truthfully in Scream, like there's a lot of stuff, the, the stuff that wasn't improvised, I assume that feels a little bit, you know, yeah. over the top. Yeah, but... kind of like the, the mall rats like thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talk totally. about that all the time. Looks like a yeah. stage is being erected. Nobody ever. Right. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> Are these they? Who says that? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, that, that's a perfect example. Uh, and I think that this movie could fall prey to that exact same sort of um, uncanny valley, uh, you know, quality where you're like, no teens talk like this, no teens look like this, what the fuck am I watching? Uh, but because the performances are so good yeah. and because they do such a great job of making the characters feel like people you care about and people that you might've known in your life, like you're able to turn a blind eye to that or, or it, just, it doesn't bother you at all. You know, at least for me when I'm watching it. No, they also have such great yeah. chemistry. Sorry, Paul. They have like such great chemistry. Like the whole cast does that. It's very believable that these people are like, all like have each other's backs, I guess. Until yeah. they like figure out killers and stuff, obviously. But like, like you guys said with the sleepover, I think that felt very believable because I very, I very much felt like Tatum and Sydney were actually friends because sometimes yes. you'll be watching a movie and you can tell when two actresses don't like each other mm. and like you can feel that like tension while you're watching it and you're like well they're like they're having fun because they're telling me they're having fun but those girls hate each other so like it's fun mm. to watch two women in a scene and like know that they seem like they just seem to have like a good rapport and it actually feels like a friendship which is nice mm-hmm. And I'd say the same thing about Courtney Cox, even though she was supposed to be unlikable. I feel like they did accept her into like the the hero squad, I guess I'll call it. Totally. Like as the movies go on. So like she's very accepted, even though she's making all these like mistakes. Cause she continuously does this throughout the series. She doesn't she never learns her lesson. It's always Gail wrote another book and this is happening. (laughs) Like, Gail. Gail, what are you doing? She's part of the group. But you know those kind of people too. It's like you like them. You kind yeah. of understand, but they're yeah, making we all have the that wrong. Friend where they... Yeah, yeah, they're making the wrong decisions, and they're not learning their lessons. And like, that's the thing. It's just like those. That's reality. That's yeah. Like, we all have the person we complain about, but you're still friends with no yeah. matter what. You're just kind of like if someone else said it, you'd be like, "Fuck you!" Like that person's great, but <laughs> then like on the side, you're like, "This son of a bitch keeps doing this over yeah. and over again." God is working on all of us. yeah no uh it's 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 a really a a testament to everybody involved like they talk about how um you know obviously the the movie gets written right i mean usually i think anyway the script gets written or the screenplay gets written before anything else happens then it gets picked up and from there a director gets attached and blah 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 like that's you know I, i think the way it's been explained to me anyway about the typical hollywood situation but you're talking about hundreds of people getting involved Mm-hmm. with this process that may have started with one or two people writing a story, you know? Uh, and for all of those people to come together and make something 
of this quality is like a statistical unlikelihood, right? Uh, it's just great that it seems that at every single step and every single level, mm -hmm. all the people that came together to collaborate on this made something that we can sit here today and talk about in, in terms of like really enjoying it for for its presentation by everybody involved, which rules. Yeah, <laughs> like it, it seems like a good time. And like, I think a lot, like, I don't know much. I, I know obviously like the horror movies that Wes Craven has made, but I don't know much about the guy in general. But like um, reading through like the trivia on IMDb, which is where I got most of my information. Paul had the Wikipedia greatness and all the IMDb. <laughs> all the big sources that everybody believes um but like all the stuff about Wes Craven just seemed so fun like it was like oh yeah. like I said earlier like Wes Craven just thought that Jamie Kennedy was so funny and like he just had him tell him jokes and he's like this guy so I can see if that like that brought a lot of like light to the um sure. set and then I think too um like um he was the one that like tried to get David Arquette to ask out Courtney Cox because he was like she likes you I just think that's sweet to know like Sure. So that kind of stuff was going on on the set like Courtney Cox likes you you should actually do something about that and David's like I don't know yeah yeah and I had something I was gonna say but I forgot what it was oh yeah so the other this is back to Wikipedia so from IMDB to Wikipedia that they were talking about how there are some big name directors at least uh that seemed like sort of interested so the the script was written there was it seems like there was quite a bit of interest in it we had names like quentin tarantino and and sam raimi that that kind of pitched their visions for it and huh. that was the, turned down because they didn't quite i like that it was described as a, they didn't quite get it which i just really think is a testament again to this this vision of this thing and how important it was to get every aspect of it right for it to function the way it did and for it to yeah. be the it product. It could very easily be a bad movie. Exactly. And it's just like to go into it kind of like knowing exactly what it is that needs to happen, how it needs to work, who needs to be a part of it, and to have somebody that understands that formula. So you are turning it on your head, but you're also you're not doing it in a way that's like, isn't it stupid? Like, this isn't scary yeah. movie. This is a, a movie that obviously really likes this and really appreciates it as a genre and wants to make that movie, even though it's also commenting on it. Like, you know, we've talked a, a lot about The Simpsons on this. We're all huge Simpsons fans. And that's a big reason The Simpsons is successful is because it is not mocking that stuff that it brings up and it, you know, parodies or whatever. You know, it's it's purely enjoys those things and wants it to be part of it or appreciates what it does and wants it like you know knows that it's like obviously like kind of making its own thing about it and and joking about it or whatever but obviously loves the thing what which is yeah. a huge difference between you know these scary movie parodies and something like this which is just that it obviously appreciates the formula appreciates the 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 source material yeah absolutely that's a very good way to put it because uh yeah if you don't respect the thing that you are commenting on then it's just not fun <laughs> to me yeah. anyway yeah if you're somebody if, if any i mean maybe if you're not somebody who you know cares about that stuff like if you're watching one of those 
you know, a, you know, scary movie or whatever, which wasn't that the original title of this movie? It was. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Whoever tur- turned it into Scream instead is is a goddamn hero. Um, Unfortunately, it was one of the Weinstein brothers. So, oh. <laughs> oh. well, Joe I need to edit this episode, please. Jeez, <laughs> uh, oh no! I I just had to throw it out there somewhere, and I was like, you know what, Paul? We got him. He's done. Yeah. Sorry, uh, Joe. This is it. We can't. We can't have you back. I mean, we have to for... delete all the Simpsons episodes. It's all over. Very appropriate then. Uh, <laughs> an episode that we're talking about a movie where people get uh, stabbed to death. That uh, Paul. <laughs> Diced me up <laughs> so badly. I'm All right, sorry, we're gonna. Joe just call one of the Weinstein's a hero. I can see the spinning newspaper now. Uh... <laughs> that's gonna right, be well... the image of it. I'm so sorry. I just like I was like, that's I have to throw it out there right then. We'll just completely have a derail what you were saying <laughs> with the cross through it. We'll be like, loves Weinstein. <laughs> well, I've uh, my brain has already started doing avoision, uh, <laughs> so we're gonna just go ahead and forget what happens. Uh, okay, but uh, hey, Kelly, I, I love the fact that you keep talking about or that you've, you've mentioned, um, you know, Wes Craven finding Jamie Kennedy like so entertaining because hell, I do too. Um, <laughs> But what do you what do you figure? Like, what are the odds that 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 scene where Randy's like, "Did you really put a liver in the mailbox?" Because I heard they found her liver in the mailbox. Like, what do you figure that that like that was Wes being like, "I heard you say that off screen. You have I, to." Say that's it what I think. Because I, I think they did mention that like he like had him improvise lines because he thought he was so funny. Which that is so a, good, a good line. Yeah. Good scene. Yeah. And then Matt Lillard's like, "Liver alone." Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Again, uh, are are these the greatest jokes that? were ever told in the history of film no uh does it feel like a lived-in moment of some dumb high school kids uh exactly. having bad puns yes which yeah. is why it works yeah, i have an image yeah. in my head of that scene now where like wes craven's like laughing his butt off at um jamie kennedy's lines and as soon as matthew lillard opens his mouth he just stops laughing and stares at him like that was <laughs> awful do it yeah, again be more thinking- like jamie <laughs> everyone could sydney uh sorry nev uh if you could be more like jamie please uh, everyone more like jamie we love that was jamie the only direction <laughs> more like jamie <laughs> now, i Courtney. love jamie i'm not afraid to say it so i told paul this before. Spot here, but if you could be more like jamie for just two seconds courtney uh that would be fantastic <laughs> I know. I told you. I don't know what that means. <laughs> no, you were not explaining what that means. <laughs> I have. I have no scenes with this man. <laughs> I told Paul this, but I guess uh, Jamie Kennedy's character was almost Seth Green, which is a similar guy. Yeah. Like they have a vi- they have a similar vibe. So I wonder how different it would be if Seth Green had that role instead of him. Like, there's a great- bunch of those. Yeah, because like, well, yeah. Seth Green has shown for me anyway. Like, uh, Kelly, uh, Paul, are you a Buffy fan? I'm not. Okay, yeah, Kelly and I have uh, talked about Buffy quite a bit, uh, and to me, Seth Green is in- a super interesting choice for that role because, like, mm-hmm. on Buffy, he shows some range uh, by like not being very emotive <laughs> or being quietly emotive, sure. uh, very very anti Randy, but similarly, like, kind of like. Uh, not 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 a nerd necessarily, but somebody who he's a an artist who's like very quiet and interest you know introverted in a lot of ways, um, and I 
I think he ends up coming off as very cool. So the idea of like a cool Randy, you know, mm. uh, Saturn Randy would be an See, interesting choice. I, I mean, I, I didn't watch Buffy until COVID, obviously. But like when I think of Seth Green, my head goes to without a paddle. Sure. So I already see I already see the dynamic between him and Matthew Lillard working out really well. And he's just uh. kind of they kind of have the same dynamic because that whole movie, uh, Matthew Lillard is making fun of nerdy Seth Green. And he kind of has the same like comebacks as Jamie does in Scream. No, so totally. It's, it's kind of sure. it's kind of the same. I don't know if we all love Without a Paddle as much as I do, but like I've seen that movie several times and like I, I don't know. I it's very comparable those two those two character dynamics. So I could mm. fully believe that Seth Green could do that role. Yes, no, th- absolutely. Like my version of what you just described would probably be like can't hardly wait or something where he's playing like a very dorky kind of uh, spazzy character or whatever, you know, like a very um uh, uh energetic character. Um and so I think probably that's the direction he would have chosen. I was just saying that there's a weird alternate universe where he gets cast and he's doing more of his Oz thing. Right. Like, oh, all right that's a that's a take you know <laughs> and when you have a movie where somebody like tatum is you know rose mcgowan gets her hands on the on the role is like what tomboy no like this is a like <laughs> very fashionable kind of almost like valley girl you know uh vibe um yeah. she, she's gonna like you know that's she took the role in an interesting way yeah i absolutely love that she went and bought her own clothes she's like this is what tatum wears i'm sorry but it's true and then that's they're so cool like, Fine. they're like okay <laughs> you know and she died i know that she dyed her hair i don't think it was just because she was like it's still in that times where it's like there can't be two brunettes at the beginning like sure. there, there can't be two brunettes yeah. talking to each other and we're supposed to believe that that's okay we're supposed to keep them separate oh when i found out that rose mcgowan is not actually blonde because i'm a moron uh <laughs> that uh that was shattering to me i was like tatum wow. with brown hair no <laughs> Uh, it looks so real, Jess. I know. That's what I'm saying. I, 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 year old or whatever, I, I believed like, it. I did. Okay, thank you, Paul. Yeah, you're both fools. I believed it. <laughs> I can't yeah. tell you guys how many movies I watched because of this movie. Like uh, when Phantoms came out, it had Leah Schreiber in it. And I think, I think Rose McGowan was in that. Uh, anyway, there was just like a ton of like really uh, like not very well received mid-level uh, movies that were made starring these actors and I was like oh I'm watching the shit out of that like as mm. a you know, in, in, as again a preteen I was like hell yeah right I'm gonna watch Phantoms and by the way I still like Phantoms it's not a good movie nobody likes it <laughs> I like it I've, I've never even heard of Phantoms oh it's um, awesome but Rose McGowan I guess I always think of her from Charmed so yes she's okay. always a brunette to me yes I, I totally get that uh to me she's again she's like a movie star first and foremost and then she ended up doing charmed later and i was like okay good i'm glad she's making a paycheck like very cool (laughs) but yeah so we we end up you know end up having seen now the principal cast with you know everybody that's been introduced so far and to me i think the movie does a really good job of like just kind of like hitting hitting the story beats it needs to hit without spending too much time. I think the whole movie is, is under like two hours, right? Yeah, it's not yeah. bad. Yeah, it's the pacing, Paul mentioned the pacing earlier. It's really good. So like it's good after, you get, after you get Gail introduced, you know, then you have um, Sydney getting the phone call from Ghostface, uh, Billy getting arrested uh, on suspicion of, of having made the call. Uh, and then in pretty quick succession, like you, he gets like, 
faux exonerated or whatever because he was in jail when she gets another when she gets the ghost face call or maybe i'm maybe yeah. mixing up events here a little bit but in any event we get pretty quickly to the party uh, which is like the final set piece where again like it's totally muddled you know who it might be uh you know we got kelly thinking deputy dewey might have done it or might be the one doing it i just uh, felt like they were pushing that they wanted us to think that I feel you. No, I feel I, I'm, I'm, I'm joking, but yeah, I, I, I see where no, you're coming it, from. You that. cut to the bone. It hurt. I it <laughs> uh, but it, you know, that final set piece I thought was really well done. Um, it's a fun, I, I'm always happy when they get to the party scene. It right? is. That's when it gets like, it ramps up and then that yeah. whole closing scene is just so good. Yes, absolutely. Like, I think there's also, and this is a crazy thing to say, because I think the movie spends about, it must be at least half an hour, if not more, in that set, uh, in that final set piece. But like, none of it feels wasted, right? No. Like, you have uh, Tatum and Stu kind of doing like their back and forth, like couples banter for the benefit of the party or whatever. And like, that feels like a very cool lived in moment where you're like, oh yeah, we like, we all know like the, the couple who like, they love each other. They also like give each other shit and stuff. Like it's uh, a fun dynamic or it can be anyway until it's taken too far uh but yeah like again there's all these like small character moments you have tatum fighting Ghostface off in the garage like hitting him with beer bottles in the fridge which as kelly mentioned earlier uh the greatest oof in film history as far as i'm concerned when Ghostface gets hit with the uh with the fridge door yeah uh, and then she rock. just starts throwing oh, the yeah. beer bottles and they were they're like exploding which is funny because like that's yeah. not how those work but it's just funny yeah. that like you get the initial hit from the door which makes him fall over and you're like she can get away from this yeah, the yeah. throwing of the bottles you can just see it i feel like the ghost face does a really like i think just the way he's, he's doing like body movements is what does it but like it almost feels like you can see the emotion on the masked face where he's like oh fuck like, <laughs> you can feel yeah, it. Yeah. i think it's the body language but you can feel it on the mask i feel like it like just the way it sets you can just believe with the body language that's making different expressions so i think it works really well that's a great point i, yeah. I never thought about whoever is acting I, I assume it's a stunt performer but whoever is behind the mask like their their movement is so scary and fast and and frenetic but yeah. also like yeah but he, but he also like um uh you know embodies i guess pain uh, in in a very like fun way in a very like telling way yeah, yeah you can almost very like, human feel way. his his body language being like this bitch like i can't believe this it wasn't easy like just that kind of shit yeah. it would be stuff like a stupid if it was a stupid horror movie it would be him actually saying these quips out loud but you're just getting these body motions instead and it just makes it like just more fun yeah totally that's great yeah sorry for my affirmations all right you're, you're, you're helping me have a good time here uh oh by the way we should point out really quick that at one point uh this kind of rules that uh linda blair shows up earlier in the movie as like an obnoxious reporter oh, yeah. that uh is like dewey has to sort of like detain from bugging from being mean to sydney you know how does it feel just like screaming at her or whatever never knew that was linda blair until years later when someone told me but uh yeah that same runs. i always forget too when i see that scene because i know what she looks like but i just never like pick her out yeah, well, and she stands. I'm sure they do it on purpose. Like the the there is there is emphasis put on her by the camera when she is on doing that scene. Or her line reading of like, "How does it feel?" 
uh, like I've turned it into like my own little reaction meme because it just <laughs> really stuck with me. Uh, love to Linda Blair. Anyway, um, but yeah, so Tatum, you know, Tatum dies in like a, a very upsetting way. I mean, made all the more upsetting, of course, by the fact that we love her. Um, and you, know, you got Randy at the party kind of uh, telling the, you know, the rules and everything. Like, again, the movie's like setting up more and more information. Uh, Billy shows up to the party. Stu, like in his very, like, again, I know this guy way is like maybe you guys want to go to my parents room uh yeah super yeah not suave um but yeah and then also like you know gail showing up and then uh putting you know getting into the party by basically just being a celebrity uh and then placing a uh a hidden camera uh in sort of the, the living room area to, to monitor back at the van that's outside the house um again all these things are done very quickly and they're done but they're done they're given enough time to actually matter like they give you enough time for w earl brown kenny to tell you about the the delay on the between the camera that's been set in the house and, and the monitor that he's watching in yeah, the van foreshadowing you know that that's gonna yeah. come up again yeah it's just all these very small like little nuggets that i mean these little you know uh, seeds that grow into full beautiful plants later in the plot <laughs> uh Sorry, I, I used, I said the word seed and then uh, on my friend George, uh, George's podcast, and he said, and that seed turned into a plant. Uh, <laughs> so now that's, that's always how I think of it. Um, but anyway, yeah, so, uh, you know, I believe Kenny is the next to die right after Tatum. Because, yes. yeah, the, he's in the van. Yeah, he, he almost kills uh, Randy, but then gets distracted by Sydney's yell and then kills the oh. cameraman. Right, yeah. So that was what happened. Uh, Sydney and and Billy uh, have sex in again a scene that seemed to me like to be very joyless. Uh, I, <laughs> she I seemed upset the entire time, and then she accused him of being a murderer right after. So it seemed weird <laughs> that it happened at all. Yeah. No. I, I seriously. Totally, yeah. That's a, she's that, like clearly her face is like in pain the entire time. It's weird. The whole I always weird. Yeah, I always read it like I I think. Nev is doing a good job with her her body acting like her body language um yeah she's very uncomfortable yeah to me it was always it was less that she was like physically in pain but like overcoming like a mental pain right, right? yeah okay yeah exactly of like getting intimate with somebody after like her mother was sexually assaulted and killed right um, yeah you could tell she was forcing herself to do it it didn't feel natural at all yeah so I think the movie does a great job and it's consistent with her character of doing that. But as a viewer, I'm also left being like, oh God, like, I don't like Billy. I don't like any of this. <laughs> like, what are we doing here? Um, and then like immediately after she she's ready to accuse him again, like she was putting yeah. on her clothes during that scene. Yes. Like, that's how like, so she's obviously thinking that the entire time. But she also, like, Sid plays it off though. Like it's not an accusation. It's more right. like a, just like, oh, like, what about this little plot point? You know what I mean? Like, right. uh, exactly. Need... And she keeps her back to him, which is an interesting thing because that means that's yeah. kind of signifying trust that she keeps her back to him. But she's also saying these things like, slight, like you said, they're not accusations, but she's kind of like musing out loud. But she's right. also keeping her back to him. So it's like, I don't think he's going to stab me at any point, but like, I, I still have some questions. Right. Yeah, it is, but it's like you're you're totally right. I mean, on on numerous levels, but also like to the point of how does this movie pull off the fact that they just, just had sex and then like two seconds later, like he's saying to her like, "What do I have to do to prove to you I'm not a killer?" <laughs> like, yeah, uh, yeah. it happens so close together. 
But uh, it's one of the great reveals when he's like facing her. You're like, what do I have to do? Huh? And like her eyes get huge. And then she oh, says yeah. it like at the last second, but it's too like, Billy, look out. Uh, and then he gets diced up, not for real, but uh, does a pretty good show. Yeah, getting diced up. I was texting Paul when I was watching that scene because I was like, it's hilarious to me that Billy is acting so hard. Now that we know that he was fake stabbed, the way he's acting is hilarious because he like reaches his hand out. And he's like, Sid, like while he's falling. Yeah. Oh, is that what he says? Because I always thought he gets, he got stabbed and then he turned around. He's like breathing so hard. And he's like, see, like it wasn't him. <laughs> no, he uh, says Sid. He reaches for okay. it. Okay. Sid. That's way it's better. So okay. funny because it's so dramatic. It's like he must have been like like it's the acting of the year. Like he could be in place. It's beautiful. He could be. It is. It rocks. <laughs> um, so this is yeah. This is the, the scene that we talked about earlier, where Sid you know scrambles uh, and gets out through the window and falls onto the the boat, sees Tatum's dead body, uh, runs away, and then uh, starts calling. She goes to the, uh, the the news van parked outside of the party house. And that's where she sees Kenny. And that's where the two of them are watching on the monitor. See that the ghost face is like right behind uh, uh, Randy, which of course I, I did want to point out, I'm sure this is very obvious to everybody, but I do enjoy the fact that Randy is played by Jamie Kennedy, who is talking to a character uh, on TV played by Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. So it's him on the couch saying, Jamie, look behind you, Jamie. Uh, um, totally yeah. different. Uh, like you know it's 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 a little on the nose but i love it i think it's it fits into the the meta theme it's great um I, but anyway so yeah go ahead no go ahead i was gonna like, just because this is um this is kind of going backwards just a tiny bit um so when he i think it's weird in that scene where they're in the bedroom so she's he stabs billy and we are supposed to believe that billy was stabbed to death and is dead he then like wipes the knife and comes after sydney but at that point, wouldn't that still be the prop knife? So, like, if he stabbed Sydney in that moment, it would have just been mm. a prop stab, and she could have gotten away. And then always... we don't really see him switch the knife. So, like, when yeah, when does he not have a prop knife anymore? Because... I know these are just like stupid questions, but it's like <laughs> I just see I just see it in a sense that I was like, it's sad that if she knew it was fake, she could have gotten away at this moment. I think that's what bothers me when I'm watching it. Okay. Yeah, see, I wasn't even sure that it was confirmed that it was a prop knife or whatever. I assumed that because Billy's back was to her, and you couldn't actually see like the stabbings happen. Oh, you think I he just fake stabs? Uh... Yeah, and like and like smearing like you know corn syrup on himself, but like okay. his shirt you know getting uh, cut open or whatever. But like not actually. That's that's always how I took it. But they would have wrong. to be very coordinated, but I can agree. Yeah, it could yes. happen. Um. But yeah, so poor poor Kenny, uh, the, obviously the biggest hero of the movie and uh, the greatest American to have ever lived. He was he was fucking ready to go in there. I was proud of that. Yeah, he was that, ready. I, I, even, yeah. I told you guys so already, but I wrote that down. I said, "Cameraman is a hero. Only one running in." I love him uh, because you know, obviously, he's a character who's been kind of crapped on by Gail the whole movie, but also like yeah. he's loyal to her. Like he's got a great. They seem to. Have some sort of relationship right yeah like as someone they, who uh, works in news that's like the biggest relationship is a reporter and their cameraman like they're always best friends like it it always ends up that way where it's just kind of like those people are basically a couple at this point because they go on everything together so uh, it's very believable that 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 their relationship like existed exactly like that because i've seen that a million times 
Okay, that's fantastic context. I mean, it makes it more of like kind of like a squabbling couple more than it does like a, a right relationship yeah. on Dale is just shitting on them all the time. Okay, that's great. It, if you think about it, I mean, these are the people I worked the overnight shift, so I think especially that crew. Because like you have to call this person at three a.m. to be like get your camera. We're going like to sit in a car for like eight hours, <laughs> and everybody knows like best conversations happen in cars. Like while you're just like sitting there. So I mean, naturally, that person's just going to become an important person in your life. So well, and then they're I doing, believe it. They're sitting there watching the you know watching the live feed together and just chilling yeah. out and laughing. It's very and, natural. It's like a sibling yeah. relationship almost. There's not like a weird like oh what are you doing that or like he's like mm-hmm. cutting farts and it's a whole <laughs> joke you know it's like very he's much like. <laughs> Sorry, what were you gonna say? Oh no, sorry. I, all I, literally all I said was that he was eating Cheetos, which he was, was eating Cheetos. Yeah. Yeah. And she didn't say anything about it, Joe. Yeah, she just let that's it happen. True. That's great. That's a great point. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, poor Kenny. Uh, and his moment of heroism, where he tries to run out of the van and into the house to save Randy, uh, gets his throat slit, which is pretty intense. It, yeah. it might be, it might be the second most intense. Like in terms of just like seeing the actual violence happen to the person, I don't know. Tatum's probably up there too. Anyway, yeah, um, I figured. But, uh, yeah, at the very end, we can be like, "What's the?" I I wrote we could choose what the best death was or what the oh, best yeah. traumatic death was. Good call. Uh, no, sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say, are you ready to do that now? Or we haven't hit all of them because we haven't even hit the one that I'm going to say. Okay. All right. So I guess we were at the very end where um, the killers are about to reveal themselves at this point, which is yeah. fun. it's it starts out very funny because like as I already said, uh, Billy does his like dramatic uh, actor of the year with his his little death. And then later he finds Sydney at the top of the stairs. Like he's at the top of the stairs and he does that little fall down the stairs. It's funny thinking of him like being like pretending he's injured and doing that because he committed. Like he fell down those stairs. Yes, for sure. I got to say though, uh, and as I've mentioned before, I love Sydney. I think she's a great <laughs> character. Uh, but Sid, if uh, your boyfriend had shed that much blood in like almost instantaneously uh, when he first got stabbed, uh, he should not be alive. You should be very suspicious. <laughs> What's going on, Sid? Right. She's like, it's a miracle. My dreamy boyfriend's still alive. Yeah, let me give him my gun that he asked for. <laughs> if, if you rise like Jesus uh, after a third day of death, then you definitely should get whatever you want, including a gun. Right. Here's your gun. <laughs> To be fair, in these new screams, that seems to be what's happening, especially in these last two. A lot of people should be dead. They're not dead. (laughs) Yes. Uh, There is something to be said for, you know, this first movie being, you know, a a very, uh, you know, iconic uh, now, but at the time being um, a singular sort of thing. Uh, Slasher movies and horror movies in general had kind of fallen off the mainstream. Uh, So for this movie to come out, of nowhere and uh you know play with those tropes a bit the way that it does it was a very fresh thing whereas now like kelly was saying kind of with the the newer movies you're like the more we strain credulity on this uh it's Mm. like diminishing returns a little bit yeah yeah Yeah, every everyone that like you like still was still alive at the end of scream and probably like scream 2 and scream 3 um, they like very obviously got a surface wound. Like when you get like Randy gets shot in the arm and it's very clearly his arm. I think the only yeah. person that was like up for a debate was Dewey because he gets stabbed in the back. 
And I think that was yeah. a whole thing because um, I saw in the trivia that he was originally supposed to die in that scene. But because test audiences loved Dewey so much and wanted more Dewey, Wes Craven decided to keep him alive. So they had this, this shot added where he's getting put into the ambulance at the end instead. As is correct. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So that he was supposed been... to die. That was that was supposed to be Dewey's death being stabbed in the back. Wow. I do remember when watching it for the very first time, like watching, you know, Dewey emerge from the house and then, you know, Sydney seeing seeing him and him being like, sit, and then like yeah. over. I was just like, no, man, no, not him. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, it, it felt like the the shining almost, where like the guy's coming yeah. to save you, and he gets hacked yeah. uh, at the at the very like first moment he comes in. Yeah, the Dick Dick Halloran, who in the book, like he's a badass hero who saves right? Danny and his mom, and it's so like I'm watching the movie, being like, okay, here comes Dick. He's played by Scatman Crowder. <laughs> he's gonna fucking rule. Just dies immediately. Like <laughs> no, that is unacceptable. I think though, Paul, you you've seen. I don't know, Joe, if you you've seen the TV version, right? Of, of the, Shining. the Shining. Yeah, I've seen it. You both have. Yes. Okay. Uh, does he does he live longer in the TV version? I want to say it's more. It was more with the book, but I honestly don't what? remember at this point. Yeah. No, I, I can't remember with one hundred percent certainty, but um, because I can't even remember who played him in the TV series at this point. Uh, I can't either. But my recollection is that, yeah, the, it, it played it exactly like the book. Because like that was Stephen King's whole thing, is that he was mad about The Shining, the movie, being yeah. so far away from the book. And also, like, just it being obvious that Jack Torrance was going to be a, a crazy serial killer, like, right from the very beginning. Whereas in, this, in the book, it's like a slow burn. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I, I can't see any universe where Dick Halloran is not a heroic figure <laughs> version anyway uh but yeah so we are at a point you know you mentioned that uh that randy gets shot because as soon as sid hands the gun over to her miraculously alive boyfriend that she definitely should not be suspicious of he shoots randy but it's just a shoulder wound so we can hope that he might live mm -hmm. uh, and then yes that's where that's where the big reveal is that's where it turns out that uh Stu is a second, you know, a, a, he's an accomplice, uh, a co-murderer. Uh, and I, the but. reveal of Stu is surprise. Like even watching it, sure. knowing it's Stu, I think like I'm always ready for the Billy reveal. He does that. We all go a little mad sometimes. Quotes the movie, and yeah. then when Stu joins in, every time I'm like, oh, Stu, no, oh my <laughs> like, god, yeah. Stu. Especially when like the reveal of him is like standing in the kitchen doorway and she like runs into him. She's like, oh, yeah, because she feels she's, safe with him. Yeah, 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 that was really well done. Where she's so I like, think that's why it's yeah. even more because like I can like I can feel as Sydney in that moment. You're running away from one person. You think you're safe with a new person. You realize it's two people against you. It's it it would be jarring. very overwhelming. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's scary because they're playing they're playing on such different sides like. Billy is still playing the creepy, like, I've got a motive, like, your bitch mother did all this shit to my family. And then Stu's just, like, in this whole other dimension where he's just like, I'm just having a good time, and I think this is hilarious. Yeah. And it's such a weird vibe between the two of them bouncing back and forth, and it's so unsettling. There was a whole thing in this Wikipedia article that I read about oh, I, how... Paul, have you been on Wikipedia for this? I don't know <laughs> if you know this place, but yeah, it's... <laughs> Got all the information you need about anything. Read one <laughs> whole thing and you're good to go. But uh, we should all donate $10 to Wikipedia. 
when an ass is, is a banner, ask. just throw it at him. Um, <laughs> but there was a debate whether or not the killer should have a motive. And I feel like maybe that kind of split. I think that's that's that was the whole thing is that that split the character into two. Yeah. One person who did have a, a, a motive. And one person was just like, no, I'm just along for the ride. And yeah. I, I, yeah, I think that really worked. And I think that's an, that's an interesting like solution to that problem, which is like, why not have both? Yeah. He's characters? just stupid almost. <laughs> like he's like, and he, I think he also genuinely didn't think of consequences to this. Like he's just yeah. like a dumb guy that was like, this should, like, this is just fun what we're doing. Like he's psychotic. And then like, yeah, I especially when it gets to the part with the phone, like it, it's played yeah. for a comedy, but like he answers the phone, he's just like, "Hello," like, yeah, this no, is part, like this is the next part of the story. No, that is that is a fantastic moment. The part where, uh, you know, he's like, he answers the phone, he's like, "Hello," and then Sid's like, "Uh, guess who just called the police on your sorry motherfucking ass?" And then he's like, "My mom and dad are gonna be so mad at me." Yeah, oh man, yeah. what a yeah, what a line, what a yeah. good. What, what a, a good reading of that line, too. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, Matthew Lillard just is amazing in this, especially this last 20 minutes. It's just like, yeah. bam, bam, bam. When he gets stabbed and like the way he delivers lines, it doesn't even feel over the top. It just feels, it feels like you're watching this actual psychotic man like be brought down, especially when he gets stabbed. He's like, I'm feeling a little woozy here. And he's like going yeah. down. That to me is actually one of the more like realistic aspects of it, even though this movie is obviously very heightened, but uh him being so manic uh during that whole mm-hmm. lead up to him getting stabbed you know where he's like because you always have to have something for the sequel like he's just like screaming like spitting everywhere as he's yelling uh and also you know uh the part where he's like get up get up he's just like you know yelling yeah. getting himself like jacked up because yeah like getting stabbed like uh it's it's no joke it's not a good deal uh it's really bad your body goes into sh- shock like for yeah, we've very all been stabbed like we all know <laughs> no, I, I do have friends who are just sort of like well whatever man it's just like a stab wound whatever it's like <laughs> have you been stabbed right. but yeah um billy doesn't even like hit him very hard with the knife he doesn't even like go very deep with the knife it's like it's a pretty mild stab wound but mild stab wounds are bad uh right. and Stu is really struggling with it which is again uh the realism or or in the, the fallibility, the vulnerability of the killers themselves, I think is an overall uh, you know, positive for the movie, as I've been saying a billion times already. But and I uh, I feel like it's the first time you see Stu feel the realism of anything, too. Yeah. Where it's like, yes. oh shit, something's actually happening to me. Like this isn't just fun and games anymore. Yeah. So you actually well, feel him well. be like yeah. a character. <clears throat> yeah. Right. Sure. Yeah, this is not a movie. I am not the protagonist of reality. Like there might be consequences. Um, right. Kelly, you mentioned uh, Billy's speech. I do think that it just, it, it mentioned, you know, it bears mentioning that um, in a movie that has been, you know, so much of Sid's character is wrapped up in the sexual assault of her mother and her murder. And then seeding throughout, you know, her conversation with Tatum, her conversations with Gail, that the sex may in fact have been consensual before her death um for that to then come back around and for billy to say my motivation is that your mom was in fact uh, having a lot of affairs around town one of them was with my dad which caused my parents to break up uh and i fucking hate you and her for it um 
is to me a pretty decent payoff. Like, no, mm -hmm. I don't think it was like, it, I don't think it makes sense from like a justification standpoint. Like he certainly isn't right uh, to be killing. Right. His, but, but you, you can see how somebody who is like psychotic or troubled or whatever uh, could, could think that is justification. Right. Yeah. And did you, did you guys notice too, that he says all that because before this, they keep saying there's no motive. Isn't it scarier when there's no motive? And then finally Billy says this full clear motive. And then they have a shot of Stu who looks yeah. completely surprised that there's a motive. He, I don't yeah, think he ever he doesn't knew. care. He didn't need to, he it did not take any sort of motive to get him on board. But it's I think like, that this is the first time he's hearing Billy's motive. I think that he thought yes. that they were both. That's what I mean. Fun. Like, I don't yeah. think he cares. I don't think it mattered to him. I don't. And I think obviously Billy knew this and like, got like knew he could get him on board pretty easily probably you know like right. you're gonna if you're gonna present this plan i don't think you're gonna do it unless you know that the person's gonna be like yeah i could do that i could well i think there's also there. like it's like that toxic masculinity thing too of like there there is vulnerability in admitting that like your parents divorcing affected you so badly yeah. and yeah. also that like your dad like i don't know was like stepping out on your mom or whatever like to me it makes sense that like billy would never tell him any of this stuff because it's like embarrassing mm -hmm. to a certain extent right you have um, to admit and that, that would be you're... like a vulnerable conversation that's not the kind of conversations him and right. Steve have ever yes exactly that's right. that yes you said it better than i did uh the and so i love that the take that matt lillard did or the one they kept or whatever like he looks genuinely affected to find this information out like it's mm -hmm. to me it's not just surprise but he's also like oh that's fucked up like oh yeah. my god yeah maybe you know, we should have talked about this <laughs> <laughs> yeah this you know guy what? maybe we both should have done therapy this would have been way better i don't know <laughs> oh to me it's like it, it speaks of like he doesn't really care about i mean whatever this is going way deeper than the movie probably intends <laughs> but this to whole me thing has, yeah yeah oh, no joke right uh but the uh to me it's sort of this thing where it's like he here's a guy who like doesn't care about the things the awful things he's doing to other human beings but this is a guy he knows like he knows right. that mm -hmm. this guy went through something awful he's like oh my god he, yeah he cares about sure. billy he yeah they're friends else. they're very yeah. close friends and like yeah that would be like wow i had no idea i'm sorry like and it's very clear they just see sydney as a, a piece of meat they never treat her with respect so it's like obviously they only care about each other in this yeah. scenario yeah so that's the only person left like they don't care about randy because he's just a nerd but like they care about each other i mean think about how awful that is too um and i haven't really considered it in these terms before because i think first and foremost the movie is telling you uh you know sid and billy had sex therefore sydney's life may be in danger by virtue of the rules right, right. like that's that's really what that serves but from the standpoint of this is a premeditated uh, culmination of a murder that they intend that, you know, Billy especially intends to do on like to him, it was important to have sex with her before he killed her, not for pleasure, but to like, I, to make it worse from her standpoint, yeah. right? Yes. Which yep. is like super fucking dark. Yeah. They had a whole thing set up. They knew exactly how that night was going to go. Right he manipulated her and like again it was important that he like penetrated her or like you know her, like mm -hmm. uh, uh set up her mother's death or her death to be like her mother's right. um you know and sid obviously earlier in the movie says to tatum like i you know i'm worried i'm gonna turn out like my mom uh 
you know, if all those things are true, like I don't want to be that person or whatever, which I always thought was like a little bit kind of a weird wonky <laughs> thing, but it does work from the standpoint of like the psychological terror and the torture that they're putting her through is made all yeah. the work by the fact that he had sex with her first, which I th again, I think is kind of messed up. It's incredibly messed up. And yeah, I think it's supposed to be that. And I do, I don't think we're necessarily reading into it too much i think that that's why this movie has endeared as long as it has is because there was a lot of thought put into this there was a lot of like there was a, they knew I, what they were trying to convey and and i think that the, it's like a, just like i was talking about earlier about how important it was to get the right director for it i think there was like or that some people didn't get it it's like this isn't a purely a joke or it's not supposed to be played this way like there's supposed to be a lot of weight and there's a lot of moments like that where they're not played as anything they're played very straight they're played very like there's a lot of devastating moments where it's like that's how it was supposed to be played and we're supposed to you know i think we're supposed to come away with these these observations you know like that's what he wanted. He wanted to hurt her as much as possible. And like, that's really, you know, that's some heavy stuff to deal with in a movie that's supposed to be part comedy, you know, like yeah, it's, yeah. you know, I think that they're really trying to, I don't know. Like, I think it's it, that, that stuff is on purpose. And I think that um, that's why it's, we're all seeing something in this, that is like even if it kind of has a reputation of whatever it has a reputation of which i think it's it's mostly positive but i think there is a lot of like you know it's well it's it is partially comedy and it's playing on these yeah. tropes and all this stuff but on top of all that it is a real story and it is like a you know as much as it is a love letter to these past you know um entries in this genre it is trying to make its own think of it and it really did that like it did a great job doing that well i think it's a it's like an endlessly rewatchable the first one especially is endlessly rewatchable i think the first i think all of them are honestly but like i think just the the way that they set it up in scream one just pretty much just set the whole anything they could make out of scream movies up for success like they have the legacy characters to lean back on that were like so well built up in the first two that people still care enough about that they'll keep coming back to the movies just to see like, oh, is Gail going to make it? Like, I know that they're going to phase that out. Like, obviously, Dewey is gone now. Um, Sydney's supposedly never going to come back, like never going to come back to the series, but she's alive and well within him. Right. But like... um. I think it'll be hard once the Scream series, like it'll, I think that'll be the test when they're actually out of the legacy characters and they're trying to start fresh with new people. I think that'll be the test if it actually just keeps going. But I mean, I think it's cool that they're at six now and like it's still as exciting to me to watch as the first one. I, I totally feel that uh, as well. Like I, even though I have a major quibble, I really do not like the fact that Dewey I don't care that Dewey dies in the last, you know, the previous movie from the most recent one. I care about how it was done. I know. We were talking earlier. Yeah, sorry. Kelly's heard this nine <laughs> But like, I was saying earlier that, um, you know, I don't like the 
I like the fact that there's not a whole lot of quipping and, and shit going on uh, during death scenes. Like they're taken seriously, like we're talking about. And to me, I, that Dewey's scene is so disrespectful because the killer is like kind of styling on him uh, as he goes. It's just like, oh, I, it just doesn't sit right with me. Uh, so I'm glad that supposedly anyway, that Nev Campbell is not going to return uh, or that Sydney won't return any further because I don't want the same bullshit to happen to her. She should not get gone. Mm. There should be respect for that character. Um, supposedly she is with her husband, Patrick Dempsey, somewhere far away from wherever Scream is happening. Perfect. <laughs> from now on that's it that's yeah that's absolutely she they would not as you know as, speaking as someone who's seen two of these movies i feel strongly <laughs> that it would not work if her character died like if even if there's like 20 of them you know like yeah it's it like, should always be like i called sydney she's safe yeah that's basically right. all they said in the sixth one <laughs> Is Gail came in, she goes, don't worry, I called Sydney. She's not coming anywhere near here. And that's all they say about it. Yeah. President Prescott is surrounded by, by a secret Exactly, yeah. Just... Shot. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I, despite what you may have heard, uh, I am actually very cognizant of problematic people in Hollywood and would never support any of them. So oh, naturally, yeah, I know. Yeah. naturally, you know Except that for I'm... Weinstein, that's his one. <laughs> Except for the Weinstein. <laughs> Nope, it's mean, all they do them. good work. They it's do all good work. Yeah, I have to admit. Nope, I'm aware of all of them, and I never see them wrong. So Tarantino really said soft spot. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Tarantino obviously has his uh, issues uh, that people are aware mm -hmm. of at this point. Um, I will say that as much as I enjoy his films, despite some of his quirks, shall we call them, uh, I think he's the exact wrong idea for this type of movie for all the yes. reasons we're talking about. I think Paul, okay, yeah, exactly. Like I, from everything I'm hearing from you, we agree that probably if he's doing this movie, like it's going to work up the 70s style, 80s style, you know, slasher exploitation stuff. The deaths yep. are going to stylize, blah, blah, blah. You're going to have more of that, like pay in to those old types of films where you want instead, or at least I want instead uh, what we got, which is, this movie that, as you were saying, Paul, like the, you know, they're, they're, we're probably meant to feel this way or to read into it in these sort of more emotionally impactful ways, which is to its credit, you know? We would get weird yeah. close ups of Tatum's feet while she was going up instead. God. Uh, <laughs> it would romanticize the violence, which really Tarantino would. does. Yeah. And he wouldn't it... have the rule that Wes Craven had of not putting any comedy in the kills at all. Totally. Yeah. Go ahead, Paul. I, I cut you off. No, no. It, I mean, that's just exactly what I was going to say. It's just not, it would not have worked. And, you know, not saying anything else about him or his films, just saying when I heard that, like, I can see exactly, I guess that's what, what confirmed to me that there, that the true meaning what we're taking away from this is what was intended is that i think when you see those kind of directors and you know what kind of movie they would have made and probably pitched that you know what elements were left out you know or that right. the vision wasn't there you know or the interpretation wasn't there and that's what i see exactly what it would be um so that's why yeah i definitely think that I think that this is a, a very, like, it doesn't have to be, that's what is great about any sort of art is that it doesn't necessarily have to have all of the same, like, it doesn't have to have the same, like, 
idea of what you know a a deep movie is or you know just a dramatic movie or whatever you like there can be different packaging to a movie for it to be you know to take these messages away you know like you can have something that is maybe considered more campy or like i don't know more like um blockbustery and it can still mean so much and still be a, a powerful impactful movie in that packaging you know without it being like the same sort of oscar bait movies that we're used to so that's what i appreciate and that's what i take away from a lot of the stuff and just starting to watch more movies than i really ever have before is just that there's so many different ways that you can tell a story and like it doesn't you know the fact that they just committed to this and made it as powerful that they did in the packaging that they did is is just endlessly fascinating to me yeah. me too absolutely uh there are probably people who are listening to this being like uh, guy you know good gravy it's not citizen kane everybody right like, take a step back but like, truthfully it's you know when you when you understand how difficult it is to make a quality movie just how you know unlikely that is given everybody involved and the money involved and the interest involved and people putting the you know too many co you know cooks uh it with the stew is that the too many cooks in the kitchen i don't know whatever yeah. uh perfect yeah thanks uh <laughs> uh it's it it is just by that metric alone a very impressive feat but on top of that like there's all these narrative and uh and artistic reasons to appreciate it as well so even if it isn't like citizen kane it's, it's a damn fine movie uh yeah, and it's it, a damn fine movie yeah and we also don't necessarily always get that in genre film right mm -hmm. so like that's yes. all the more reason to celebrate it. So, I mean, for me, you know, we get the, we get Billy's big uh, monologue about his motivation. Uh, everything looks bad for, for Sydney. It looks like she's going to get killed by these two guys who got her corner in the kitchen. Gail comes out of nowhere uh, with a gun uh, to kind of, you know, interrupt the proceedings and distract the killers long enough for Sid to get away. Uh, and then we have in quick succession, you know, Stu getting a TV dumped on his head. Uh, and again, uh, another great uh, ADR moment, I assume. But, uh, you know, him being, after getting, like, electrocuted by the TV, going like, <laughs> Great moment. Um, Billy, as you mentioned, Paul, you know, he gets shot a few times or whatever, and, or at least once, and then comes does, like, the sudden comeback right after Randy, who thankfully survived you know, tell Sid, like, I know you shot him, but, uh, you know, the killer always comes back yeah. for one last scare. Right. Uh, and then he does. Um, but Randy lives, Gail lives, Sid lives. We find out later Dewey lived. Uh, and that's a pretty solid crew to work from for, you know, the, the next movie, you know, for Scream yeah. 2 that, that comes out. Uh, People are demanding that Stu lived somehow, but I don't think that will ever happen. No, uh, as much as that would have been an interesting mm. choice, I mean, once once he's the killer, that's it. That, that's he's got to go. But <laughs> it does set up a great dynamic for Scream Two, where you know, again, this is not an established film at this point. People don't have expectations for what the next film will be uh, mm. in terms of like if there's going to be like tropes or themes that they stay consistent with. So now we're just left with like, well, I fucking love Sydney, I love Dewey, I love mm -hmm. Randy, and I love Gail, and like the way that these movies go some one or more of them might die like that fucking sucks right. like you know people are that's that's like the great tension going into the next one which i think will be fun to uh to kind of riff on you know once we do watch the next one yeah. in review. 
Which is what Randy immediately, I think he immediately says that at the beginning, that no one's safe in the second one. Like, pretty much, Sydney could die in the second one. He immediately says, like, as soon as he starts telling the rules, then, like, we can get into that when we're actually talking about it. But, like, I don't know, it's it's pretty, it's, like, lined up that legacy characters aren't supposed to mean anything, even though they mm. they tend to anyway, but, like, we're supposed well, to be ready for anybody to die. Yes, I think that early in the series going, and we'll talk about it more as more episodes come out or whatever, but um, I think they do a really good job of finding a balance, right? Because legacy, like, you know, there aren't many legacy characters left, put it that way. Uh, and so I think they do a good job of, you know, showing that there, there is danger here uh, still. But um, there is, there's, as far as I'm concerned, there's a rule that they haven't talked about yet any of the movies that i've seen but like once your final girl has made it through like three or four movies or whatever like that's it the book is closed uh (laughs) gets to live forever as we've already discussed um but i I, the the last thing i want to say to finish the movie up is that uh you know they they have the you know dawn breaks over the party house gail is you know covered in blood but uh insistent on doing you know a live on the scene scoop uh, with her new cameraman, with poor dead Kenny, uh, already forgotten, as Kelly mentioned. Uh, and it, the, it kicks out into the end, so, you know, the the song over the credits. And uh, <clears throat> one thing we haven't talked about in this movie yet, I just want to say, the soundtrack in this movie fucking rules. It's so good. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, to me, the centerpiece, and it, uh, I think Wes Craven agrees because he uses it twice, but uh, Red Right Hand by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Uh, this was my introduction to that song. It is so good. Uh, and they it is perfect for this movie. Uh, I assume you guys know which one I'm talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. The the big bell that, that you know, goes off. And it's just this, you know, uh, synth-driven or piano-driven mm-hmm. uh, creepy song about, you know, making deals with the devil or what have you. Um so well used uh i have a friend who is a big nick cave fan but doesn't know anything about these movies and he's mad at these movies uh because he's like oh is that why it's the only song they Uh, ever play (laughs) um you know in in defense of everyone that gets into music because of one song like that's that's how we all discover music like i'm never down on somebody for just knowing one song totally just slowly getting into somebody because of one big song I mean, that's how we kind of all start, or I'd assume, right? Like you hear right. one song, and this is a different tangent, I guess. But like, as a as a massive Ween fan, and knowing that Ocean Man is a lot of people's entry, I'm like, hell yeah! Like, it's a great song, and um, you know, if it brings you to it, if it doesn't do anything except for you like Ocean Man, that's great. If it, you know, somebody then gets into Ween after that, that's also great. That's just that's, uh good time sorry completely different tangent (laughs) another thing about the the music that was really cool that they did in scream is that they i love when they kind of synced up the halloween music to the scenes going on in the scream universe yeah like they would have music that's obviously supposed to be coming from the halloween on the tv but is filling up like it's it's your main music like in the scene but yes, like it, it puts that together so well that you're like, because I mean that music instantly makes you creeped out because you're thinking of Michael Myers slowly walking, ready to stab, 
And so it fits so well with like every time that like it's I think it's all the party scenes because that's when he has Halloween playing on the actual TV. But like they just they keep using it and it's just like it's beautifully done. Yeah, 1000 percent. It's yeah. the, The again, the meta layer of it is like the the movie they're watching is scoring the movie you're watching it yeah 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 it just it works out great uh the i probably people who would you know look at the soundtrack now might scoff a little bit on how high i am on it um and what i'm talking about literally like the the soundtrack that you know the it used to be a big deal in the 90s especially to put out a cd of uh you know tracks recorded by recording artists you know we're not talking oh, absolutely. like absolutely yeah we're we not talking all about this okay yeah yeah so we're, we're not talking about like the movie score i'm saying obviously more of this for the audience's benefit than anybody else on the call but um you know we're not talking about like the movie score necessarily like we had tracks being you know put together by uh republica and <laughs> other uh very very good 90s ass bands it's a very 90s ass soundtrack there's no two ways about it but um it's pretty superbly put together it does it's Mm -hmm. very evocative of the era and uh i think it's used to great effect in the movie itself so uh that's my my final love letter to uh to the production aspect of all this yeah i kind of miss that being a big deal that like i feel like that used to be a bigger deal in the 90s and probably early 2000s where a movie would come out and then that's where you learned a lot of music and then you would go find the soundtrack and like you could go listen to it at like Barnes and Noble and those stupid little like earbuds that they had in there, but you could put them yeah. on and like listen through it. And you're like, yeah, this was the movie. Or you could be like super disappointed if you got like the Empire Records soundtrack and like one song was missing. And you're like, how dare they not get the rights to this one? But it, it used to be a big deal to get the the soundtrack afterwards. I mean, like, we makes- had a bunch of them. We had that thing you do. We had Empire Records. Uh, Mall Rats was a big one. They had Weezer Suzanne, which was huge. Godzilla. Uh, Godzilla. Godzilla, you love that one. That oh, Godzilla has the best Rage Against the Machine song of all time. Ooh, like that's no a bold statement, but I, I don't <laughs> like I can see where you're coming from. That is that I know. Is I, I knew as soon as I said it, it was gonna be <laughs> you guys didn't have you're gonna have so many reviews yelling at me about that. <laughs> no shelter to me is a superlative rage song, and like it was never on any of their normal, you know, their their regular yeah. albums. Yeah uh but yeah no that's that's the thing like you know, these these soundtracks used to be like the top selling album exactly of, yeah of like of the entire year or whatever like you know famously like the batman returns soundtrack was like a huge deal um yeah. and it, it is funny I'm, I'm totally with you kelly like i very much miss them as well as like cultural um commonalities like because like everybody would have these things or at least they would know yeah. like the big singles off of them and so it was like this yeah shared experience <clears throat> at the same and time now there's just like the sad version where like you can google like or you can like search it on spotify and someone would have like tried to make their own playlist of it but it's not exactly the right songs and yeah. you're like i appreciate you trying but this yeah. is terrible what you did i'm so sorry or very true you know, <laughs> what this podcast is probably about is that james bond has uh carried on this legacy and uh <laughs> Still introduces us to songs like No Time to Die and, uh, <laughs> you know, just has a quality about it that uh, endures for James Bond's the only one bringing back <laughs> soundtracks. <laughs> That's my point. That's the only point I wanted to make. Neighbors <laughs> trash is that <laughs> James Bond 
is carrying it on. James Doesn't Bond is carrying care on. Care anymore? <laughs> you know, Kelly, when you said the uh, the sad version of soundtracks, uh, obviously the the point you ended up making is an excellent one that I agree with. I thought originally you were going to say that the sad version of it now is that um, like HBO shows will like sync up with Spotify or whatever, being like, all right, we're going to yeah, like yeah. prominently feature this song on an uh... episode of our show. And we're going to turn it into like a cultural phenomenon, like uh, running up that hill or whatever from this past year. Mm-hmm. It's like a big contrived deal. I happen to like that song anyway, and I'm very happy it's, for Yeah, but that's, yeah. that's what's hard. But yeah, I know that fans of her were like super mad about it. They can like, eat it. I Yeah, they can eat it. Like, <laughs> let people enjoy your the, the, these songs and discover them in their own way. Like... For every, you know, hundreds of people that will enjoy that song and then let it fall off, you got you got one new Kate Bush fan. So whatever. Yeah. Like what's the, the alternative? No one ever listened to Kate Bush again. Like Yeah. Right. Except for the people that already knew her. Like that that's how people <laughs> I, I worked in news when Prince died. And we had this guy that was so mad because like people were buying Prince albums again. And he was like, if you were a real Prince fan, you'd already have all the albums. I'm like, well, I mean, like, who cares if people just want to listen to Prince now just because yeah. he died? Like, who cares if that's their intro to Prince? Like, Seriously. it doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I remain, I know I mentioned this is like sort of the sad version of it. The reason I think it's the sad version of, of soundtracks and stuff is because like, it, it's it's uh, it's a single song instead of like a whole album mm, right. that we can all yeah. enjoy and get to know together. Cause yeah, I, I am flabbergasted by people's negative reaction to that. You know, like when run up that hill was like, people were getting like, Oh, I'm so sick of that song. It's like all over TikTok. I can't stand it. I'm like, okay, but it is a good song. And it it's, is a good song. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good that she's that Kate Bush is getting recognition. Same deal with like the last of us, you know, their big thing was, I think it was like the Linda Ronstadt song. Right. Mm-hmm. I think so. Uh, yeah and so i'm like here i am like so number one i wasn't aware of that song previously because you know my parents didn't i think they had her greatest hits or something or that was it but uh but i like linda ronstadt and i generally am happy for her success like Mm -hmm. cool you know like let's all it's very cool that people like half my age or whatever like now like linda ronstadt good she had a great simpsons cameo yeah it's yeah and this this is not the point i i guess we're completely off track now but it's just hard not to this is yeah i just think that it's it should be exciting when people discover these things again and and come back to them and and learn and like that's what i think that's something we've all kind of missed it's just like that's what pop culture has always been you know like people will really like something and then some people will grab onto it and really get into it and other people will fall off of it that's just how it works that's how anybody discovers anything is that they heard it at one point or their friend talked about it like it's that's how it's it works nobody's special nobody was born a kate bush fan and knowing their whole discography and like you know it's just like you learn it from something and then or you hear it on the radio you know just like you're exposed to it somehow and then you like it and it's cool that people like the same stuff and it's cool that this a song from 30 years ago is still relevant like that should be what's what is like that's exciting like that this that art endures and like we can continue to find new things to like about it and it can be relevant and 
interesting in a completely different way than it was when it was first released. And that is, that should be, I mean, yeah, it's just. Should be that, celebrated. Yeah, yeah. And I think that keeps happening in like, especially like children's movies now, because we're not watching those movies. These are all kids watching these movies, but they keep bringing back old artists in covers. And then I think kids start listening to those songs again. So I think people get confused. They're like, oh, why why do kids know Elton John now? But it's, it's just like, oh, like this cartoon randomly did a cover of I'm Still Standing by Elton John that kids right. loved. And it's like, I don't know, it's funny too. Cause like, I think artists like that, Elton John, like Paul Simon, those people are gonna be around forever. Like they're gonna keep recycling cause their music's really good. So like, I don't know, like there's a, a, the example I always love to give. I've never seen Trolls, but I remember just one, um, our niece is like 13 now, but she was like maybe five at the time when Trolls came out. But like, she came up to me and she just started singing um, the Sounds of Silence from Simon and Garfunkel. And she was just kind of like, I'd like to perform for you. And then she was like, hello, <laughs> darkness, my old friend. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on with your kid? But it's just funny to me that like um, these movies, they do keep recycling these songs and getting new people into it. And now Sophie is going to be into these artists, too, that we were into as kids. And it's fun. It's fun. It is fun. Uh, my last little thing about that, for me anyway, would just be that, um, you know, growing up in the 90s, as I did, uh, there was a very specific movement in rap at the time to use samples, yep. mm. especially of like really popular songs from years past, decades past. <clears throat> That's it's not as common anymore because like eventually they had to start paying uh, the artists for the you know <laughs> using those, those samples. But anyway, um, you know, my parents would get really upset when they would hear like the police or somebody you know uh, being sampled in a rap song, and I was like, they're, but they're both good. Like I, yeah. I, I like, I like P Diddy in the fam uh, doing uh, I'll be missing you or whatever mm -hmm. uh, with that great sample of the of iconic, uh, I keep using that word, sorry, of this like legendary uh, guitar riff. Um, uh, and I also like the original song. So I've always just resolved to not be that kind of adult. Yeah. Like, and I, yes. yeah. I feel like people will get mad about the stupidest things too. Cause I remember when Nicki Minaj song came out, that um oh crap i can't think of it now but she she samples the um i like big butts and i cannot lie that song oh yeah uh, so, yeah so she has that song and i remember that coming out when i was in news and there was like an older guy that was mad about that song being reused and i'm like <laughs> are you serious like i was like that song came out like when i i it's it's I don't know. It's just super funny to see that perspective. He's just like, why is that song big again, and why is that being sampled? And you're just like, I guess that's probably the same distance of music that she's from that the these songs were from these artists in the '90s. Right. So yeah. I don't know. It's it's funny what people will be mad about, and I don't know. I'll tell you why that song's popular again, sir. Is because Sir Mixalot is a legend, and he deserves. <laughs> And he's very happy, I'm sure, for his song back in the limelight. Anyway. Yeah. I I listen to Jump On It a sad amount of times because every time <laughs> it starts, I'll listen to the whole thing. And it'll yeah. just be me in my car listening to that. And I'm like, this is like such a like a bar song that it's funny that every time it's on in my car, I listen to the whole thing. 
I've only had a couple of experiences where I absolutely I hated like a hip hop song that was like uh, using a sample. And in both instances, I think both, yeah, in both instances, the rapper was white and uh, made a terrible choice. Uh, so in both cases, I felt pretty justified. Um, I was like, I know white culture. I am white. <laughs> and therefore Eminem using Dream On for his shitty, uh, yeah, that song sucks, right? Uh, anyway. Uh, the other one was Kid Rock and then Sweet Home Alabama. I was just like, oh, God. that is the worst. Thing Honestly, right. I, oh. I'm mad at myself that in middle school, I think I did like that song, but now oh. it seems so terrible. But it's funny to me because we had that whole thing. Paul, I don't know if you remember this, but we tried to record as a family Werewolves of London. And everyone was getting really mad at each other because mom was trying to do that that chord, but she was doing it in the Kid Rock way because it had the Sweet Alabama like oh, oh, yeah. oh, outro. Yeah. So she was like doing the dun 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 bump 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 bump, but it's supposed to be like bump 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 bump. Oh, it was yeah. a whole th- it was a whole <laughs> thing, and it's would... gotten to the point where we can't even bring up that song around our like parents because they'll get mad again. But like. <laughs> Uh, it's just funny, yeah, that because it blended Sweet Home Alabama, Werewolves of London into that song. Right, what a waste, right? Yeah, like, uh, yeah, waste. two great songs yeah. into one terrible song. I would kill to hear that family recording, by the way. I think it's some out there, remember, because I remember a lot of, like, there's a da-da-da-da, like, <laughs> I don't think our family's ever been angrier than that day. I honestly, as an entire family, I don't think so. <laughs> We were yelling at each other because of that chord. Like, this is I don't incredible. Know. We, right. have, we have a lot of recordings that we've done that are are posted somewhere, but like, I don't think that would ever. I don't think we ever even in probably did didn't because... go back and revisit it. <laughs> uh, let's let wrap up here. Yeah. I don't think that this discussion was really that off topic because we're talking. Yeah, we stayed about... on topic. No, 100%. I'm just saying, like, yeah. I think that's kind of important and kind of just to me what Scream is and that it just endures and it still exists and it's still like, we'll go into it more as we continue this series and, and you know, It was all Scream the... and then the pop pop culture stuff that came up yeah. on because of Scream. That's yeah. 100, yeah. Yeah, it's a cultural phenomenon that um, changed a lot of how horror movies you know after it would operate and i think one of the earliest examples of meta commentary on media being presented as sort of the central thesis like i I could be wrong about that i'm sure there are other examples but in terms of like hugely successful movies this is a pretty good early example of something that kind of became de rigueur as time went on right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Kelly, you said you wanted to talk about like uh, grisliest deaths or something. Yeah, so I guess what <laughs> okay. we could end with is like I think if we could all pick our, like I I wouldn't say favorite death because that seems morbid, but I would say maybe like death that affected you the most or death that scared you the most or you thought was the most intense. Okay. So we'll start, Paul. Do you want to start? Okay. Uh, I'm ready. So okay. yeah, I just want to. I think that the the first death is the you know definitely the most impactful for me, um, because I think that whole build up was very intense. I think they showed just enough. Like, I do think that it it became less important that we saw Ghostface as sort of this like, just like, 
you know, he was more present. We saw him get injured. We saw him be more human. But in this moment, we didn't really get to see that. So he was more of like a ghostly figure and moved very fast and almost seemed like he wasn't human. And we didn't really see any of the violence happen. We didn't see, I think it's Steve, the boyfriend. We did not see him actually get, um, you know, we didn't get see him get tied up or killed or anything. We saw his death and we saw Casey's death. And both times it was just a moment where it's just like you, you then have to kind of in your head, you know, fill out the rest, which I think is always the more gruesome thing when you are trying to kind of fill in the holes of the things you did not see. Um, And I don't think like not, you know, just the rest of the movie really didn't focus on that. But because of that, I think those that that first sequence, those first deaths were the most impactful. So I, I'm i interested to ask the both of you. Um, so when I watched Casey's death, like obviously it was super upsetting, but like the fact that she got to take off the mask and see who it was, I loved that. Mm. Yeah. Like I love that she got that closure. I think just as, I think thinking of it as like an attack, especially on a woman, it's just kind of like, I like that she did get kind of the final say in the death that she got to see who it was. He didn't get the animosity that he wanted. Uh, I think that was kind of like the final blow that she could have gotten and still died. So I, I really appreciated that. I don't know if that hit as well with you guys as, as I, I don't know. It was kind of like, for me, it was kind of like, well, she knew she was going to die. There was it like, this is the last thing she's not going to try to fight back. She's not going to try to push him off. She's just like, I'm going to grab the mask, pull it off. I need to know. Like, I need I've, to see who I've accepted. So it made it a little bit less like she was almost, like you said, she was in control in that moment simply because. I thought um, it was powerful. Yeah. 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 For sure. Cause it was just like, she's like, okay, I'm going to like at least do this. I'm going to at least take this away. Yeah. You know? um you're you can't have exactly us. what you wanted from this whole thing like right you, you can't and i'm sure it would kill somebody like that to be like i don't know necessarily if that's anything obviously but if it's like something where you're, you're hiding you're not trying to come at it as like i'm gonna right. kill you like you want sort of you know still have some sort of reputation that exists as almost like two different entities your ghost face and you're this person because I think they did genuinely separate themselves from Ghostface when they were Ghostface. So I think sure, that was sure. a big thing for them. So I think her ripping off the mask, because I think that the last look that Drew Barrymore gives before she actually dies, is kind. it's kind of like a satisfaction, like, like, okay, like, I, I not that she's accepting of her death, because she should have never died. But it's right. kind of like a well, fuck you. This is who it was, kind of thing. Sure. But I think that's kind of what her boy, her face says when she pulls it off. That's yeah. a really awesome insight. I'd never really thought about it before. I always thought of it more like the killer was so focused on the job at hand that, like, she was able to get. But no, you're right. Like, she's like reclaiming some amount of agency left. Like, you don't get to you don't get to do this without me fucking you know putting a, a thumb in your eye. Uh, you know metaphorically so yeah no that's that is awesome and i I do think like her i can see her facial expression in my head right now Mm -hmm. as we're talking about it like it was really well done and really well performed on her part 
because it's kind of like a look of recognition but not really to the point where you're like who was it because like and then that's what the whole rest of the movie is like who the fuck was that because she doesn't look surprised but she like you're not really sure what that expression is it's just kind of a very like oh like okay now i'm dying it separates this movie from halloween and like from the mike myers types where that wasn't really in consideration right like nobody was really interested in knowing who it was it was almost accepted that it was like a different like a maybe this is incorrect it's been a while oh, mike myers I, uh, I mean I mike myers it? i think they always knew who he was it was always mike myers <laughs> okay so maybe i'm just completely misremembering <laughs> halloween then well <laughs> there's you're still making a good point. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to derail you. <laughs> no, you're anyway. fine. I just, like, I'm thinking, like, that and maybe, like, Friday the 13th. Uh, maybe Friday the 13th, yeah, lost. you didn't know who it was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Mike Myers, yeah, in Halloween, you, like, he escapes the person that they think is killing people is the person killing people. So it's not like a, who is this man? It's more sure. like, oh, Michael got out. And, like, Loomis is the only one that knows. Loomis, Loomis. Um, he's the only one that knows exactly who it is but like everybody else is kind of theorizing and knows that this guy escaped i guess there's a mysteriousness to to every one of these killers right even when the identity is known like there's a mystique about as you learn more about michael myers from dr loomis about like how you know truly awful he is or you learn more about jason uh as time goes on and like you know like what a monster he turned out to be because of how he was treated and so on and so forth freddy krueger right like you know burned to death i can't remember what the original canon was was he always a pedophile was he only a pedophile in like the newer i've one? only seen the first one so he was a pedophile and then the parents burned him right okay and then he came but, back and yeah people. there's like a mysterious quality to all of them uh and i think that in this particular version you know it's a it's more you know they, they reference psycho in the movie it's more of a psycho misdirect where yeah. these terrible things are happening and it's just it's a matter of time before mm. you find out you know who the big uh reveal is but these are all slasher flicks right like these are all part of the tradition so i i totally see where you're coming from paul so joe what was the most traumatic uh death for you um i i i'm gonna agree with paul i think that uh casey death is it's become the phenomenon it is for a reason it's become referenced so many times uh as it has for a reason like it's it's that well put together. It's that well acted. It's that well paced. It's that well uh, rendered on screen. And her death is given the weight and also like mm-hmm. the 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 goal the, the the true terror and awful feeling that comes with seeing her disemboweled corpse hung mm-hmm. from a tree. Like I can't right. I can't overemphasize. And, Sorry, go ahead. And knowing that her parents saw it, I think yes. that's what's yeah, double yeah. like that right. doubles down on it. Just seeing their reaction to it, it's horrible. They hear her making noises on oh, the floor, God. right? Yeah. They hear yeah. her, like, she she tries to call for her mother, but can't because of her wounds, right? Like, there's so much about her death that is awful and tragic and feels real in a way that they don't typically feel, in my experience, in slasher movies, because I think the vast majority of them are, are like we're talking about, more concerned with, like, okay, how, like, inventive and gross can we make this? Uh, that's... Right that's the draw here no the draw here is like the human experience of like an awful murder that has that you then also get to see the consequences on the 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 loving family 
Uh, right. It's, it's fucking awful. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's also great for just that reason. Um, yeah. I will say that, like, you know, I've, I've already mentioned it, but, like, uh, Tatum's death probably affected me more personally just because I wanted her to make it so badly. Mm-hmm. And I think it's pretty grisly. But I just don't think in this particular movie, I don't think you can beat Casey's. Yeah, no, I, I, I would Casey's. agree. Yeah. <laughs> I would agree that, that Casey's is the most traumatic. I think um, in the spirit of the question of the, like, I don't know, the death that, like, kind of shook me the most, I think would be Stu's just be only because wow it mm. just only because it seems like it could happen by accident to you like if you weren't part of this scenario because I I don't know if this is just because we had a big TV like that that was because uh, uh, Paul you probably remember this but like in the basement of our Rochester house we had that big TV that was just kind of like uh it was set on top of that thing that could barely hold it so it was pretty much just kind of like going towards you all the time and I just remember watching Scream and just I I had to move the TV down just because of that because I was so terrified that it would fall on my head and I'd die that way that I think that death probably affected me the most just thinking about that and I don't know I think Tom always repeated that too or he's like that TV's just gonna fall straight on your head and I was like no it's not (laughs) there was I'm wondering if this wasn't a dream now because there was a smaller TV in the basement of that Rochester house that actually fell on you. And I, I did have feet. the small TV fall on me. Yeah. And I always remember it's like, oh my God, what if that <laughs> fell on her head? And like, that's what I thought of when I saw this. And that's what I was like, always wow. like just sort of there. Like, because that was like, that. Jesus. Like, that's. Yeah. It's not like it originally, nothing. Which is funny because I don't know why we didn't change our setup after that. <laughs> but know. yeah, we did. Yeah. We did have that small TV that had the VCR attached that did fall on my feet. And then we got the bigger TV and put it on that same like thing. And then, yeah, Tom would always say it was going to fall on my head, but I was like, never going to happen, even though a TV had already fallen on me. But, um, <laughs> Yeah. Well, Kelly, given all the things I've said on this podcast today, I have to say I really appreciate you saying that you were most deeply affected by the death of a man who vaguely threatened <laughs> <physical> <laughs> violence to our main protagonist before he dumped a TV on his head. <laughs> I'm just saying, if that happened to me, it would be terrible. That is true. <laughs> I guess I, yeah. I'm thinking. I think I'm thinking of the question way differently than the rest. You of really, you. really are. Yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah. Guys, I gotta say. I just, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I just think that's the worst death. Having a TV shatter <laughs> on your head. That's got to be a slow, like electrocution kind of thing. Because you're getting the shards in your head, and then you're getting electrocuted. That's terrible. <laughs> sorry, I just. It's just funny how. You had heard both of our answers and still went with the TV. <laughs> I, I already had it written down. I can't go back on myself now. I can't be like, yeah, me too. Casey was terrible. I have TV was worth death written down. Uh, Kenny, Kenny getting his throat slit, but still telling Sid uh, how to get out of the, the van uh, right. safely. Again, American hero, the greatest I'm ever. Sorry that there are so many heroes and someone died so traumatically and had the nerve not to be a hero. Uh, 
guys, I'm so excited to talk about Scream 2 after this. Oh, man. Me too. This is a great (laughs) conversation. And yeah, this is making me want to immediately watch Scream 2 and talk about it. But we'll do that for our uh, the next installment but yeah this was a great conversation and uh yeah any final thoughts before we go i'm not gonna have any final thoughts after that <laughs> uh i'm really glad that uh <laughs> i have there's somebody else out here who likes this movie as much as i do or more in kelly's case she likes these movies even more than i do and i love them quite a bit uh because it's a lot of fun to talk about uh so it's this has been a fantastic uh seven hours seriously but a a well yeah we well spent seven hours (laughs) of content so until scream two uh thank you all and uh have a pleasant evening bye bye wrap you in his arms tell you that you've been a good boy he'll rekindle all the dreams that took you in